I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation. Coming to you live from Palo Alto, California. The site of BYU versus Stanford, a regular season finale, as the Cougars look to get their first win. All time against the Stanford Cardinal, 0-2. Last time these two teams met was in 2004. And the Cougars will look to close out that regular season in 2022 with a win over the Stanford team. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Biamonte. We'll get you ready for BYU and Stanford, which tonight it kicks off at 9 p.m. Mountain Time. So make sure to get the... The afternoon nap, potentially, maybe you still got a little bit of a hangover from all that turkey and the turkey sandwiches yesterday on Black Friday. Get that nap in because it's going to be a late one here on the farm, 9 p.m. kick, and we'll break down the game. We'll also get in some BYU basketball talk as the Cougars completed a three-day, three-game stretch at the battle for Atlantis. We'll hit on that. You'll also hear from BYU passing game coordinator Fessy Sutake, Matt caught up with him earlier in the week, and also BYU quarterback Jaron Hall. I spoke with Jaron earlier this week on Unrivaled. We'll play that interview as well coming up on the show. But again, BYU and Stanford kicks off tonight at 9 o'clock, and that's where we start things off here in the leadoff. The leadoff. A look at the stories making headlines right now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday. BYU. BYU in- oh, Mitch, sorry. This is what happens when we do shows uh, uh, for one person in California and one in Utah, but BYU and Stanford later tonight, uh, the final regular season game, Mitch, uh, for a football team that they didn't meet expectations, uh, b- but still an opportunity to beat a Pac-12 team. You know how special that is for BYU fans to get that win. And Maybe we start with this. What are some of the storylines that interest you in this final game of the year? This is a big game. I think that BYU has a chance here to make a statement with this game. Uh, you got to always get a chance to play a Pac-12 team. you got to capitalize on that opportunity. And BYU, let's see if the improvement that we've seen in the month of November 
is actually valid. If it's just simply a byproduct of playing a group of five team against Boise State or playing an FCS team. Look, BYU defensively is one of the big storylines for me coming into this game uh, because Stanford's offense is just not good. And Stanford hasn't been good offensively over the last two seasons. And it's interesting because so many people talk about quarterback Tanner McKee. He's an LDS kid. BYU wanted him. But under his time at Stanford on the farm, they've been terrible offensively. And I'm curious to see if BYU's defense makes a terrible Stanford offense look competent and look uh, like they're they're capable of something. So that's a storyline to me. I also think that this game for BYU is that I want to see you know how how dialed in they are. I get the sense, Matt, from this week of practice that BYU was very dialed in and focused. I think they've bought into some of the storylines potentially of of Kalani saying, hey, this is a chance to get the, a win over Stanford. It's the only program in the Pac-12 conference that BYU has never defeated. I think BYU's kind of bought into that. And also, Stanford is a program that's always been a thorn in BYU's side when it comes to the athletic department as a whole on terms of recruiting. There's this kind of elitist attitude with Stanford. It'd be a nice win for BYU to close out the season on a high note and then head into the postseason with this win. I think this is an important game because I think any of the momentum that you built this month goes out the window if you lose the Stanford team that, honestly, they have nothing at stake. They are in a tough spot right now, as David Shaw noted earlier in yeah, the well, week. I don't think BYU has anything at stake either. I, I think for, for BYU football, from my perspective, Mitch... They absolutely do. Oh, no, they don't. They're going to the, Whether they win or lose, they're going to the same bowl game. This season ended against East Carolina, in my opinion. This team had high expectations. They did not meet those expectations. And now I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the game. Expectations uh, by who, though? Oh, by by everybody, Mitch. This this team had so many returning, so much returning talent. This was supposed to be a double digit win team. I, I, I predicted to go eleven and one, and I'm not saying uh, you know I'm on the end all be all here, but they the, the planets have rarely aligned for BYU football like they did before the season began. Returning coaching staff, returning quarterback, returning skill, returning defenders, so much returning talent, and they don't take advantage of that. And, and next year, there's not going to be nearly as much uh, returning talent. We saw that uh, Blake Freeland and Puka Nakua have accepted invitations to the Senior Bowl. So there's going to be a lot of new next year. And you have this much coming back, especially at a place with BYU that has the RMs. And, and just the roster juggling is, is harder at BYU than anywhere else. The expectations were high. They did not meet those. And that's, that's been disappointing. I'm not going to lie. It's been disappointing. And so now, going into this game where there's nothing on the line, whether you win or lose, you're going to the same bowl destination. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the game. I want to watch Jaron Hall, who I believe this will be his last regular season game at BYU. Same for Puka Nakua. Same for a lot of guys. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy watching these great players who have done a lot for BYU. So, uh, But win or lose, I'm not going to lose any sleep if they lose to Stanford because uh, I already lost that sleep earlier in the season. <laughs> I think if they lost tonight, though, it would still leave the opportunity or the potential for BYU to have a losing season because then you factor in the bowl game, you guarantee a winning season tonight. And I think that's something that's that makes this important uh, tonight because no matter what, you don't never want to have uh, a losing season anytime, especially when you're going into the Big 12 Conference. you got to have a little bit of momentum. And I think still Stanford's got talent. Uh, you know, you look at some of their individual personnel. They've got some quality players at Stanford, and you look at how they recruit. It's still been a program that – 
Uh, we'll, we'll pose some matchup problems for BYU at times, and I think if BYU can get this win, they should win this game. They're the favorite in this one, uh, but I just think this would, this is a quality matchup uh, for two programs that, in terms of school-wise, there's no similarities at all be- between Stanford academics and their liberal views and BYU as a conservative school, but... Uh, as far as programs and how they construct rosters, there is some crossover, and I, I find that fascinating with this game too. But I would say too, going back to the point about this season, I feel like how this year has played out, I'm kind of appreciating uh, more of how difficult this schedule was for BYU. And I kind of look back and I go, you know what, BYU is a flawed football team in a lot of areas from the coaching side, and then also some personnel spots. And I think, you know, if they go 7-5, and 8-5, and five, I can kind of appreciate that. I, I struggle with it a little bit because Jaron Hall is a spectacular quarterback and you should win more ball games when you got a senior QB. But you go down the schedule, Utah State's going to a bowl. Wyoming's going to a bowl. The only team really that was just downright awful that BYU played this season was USF, and they crushed that team. And maybe Stanford's that next in line that is downright awful in terms of record and nothing on the line, but... This has become one of the tougher schedules in BYU football history. It's a top 35 strength of schedule uh, by Sager in ratings. And, uh, you know, if they can go 7-5, 8-5 this year, that's that's pretty impressive. By BYU standards of all time, BYU great teams typically don't put together 8-plus wins against really good schedules. They do when it's weak schedules. And I can, I can kind of appreciate that because still BYU's a, a limited program in terms of resources compared to a lot of the Power 5 programs they try to face. But they still should have beat East Carolina. And, and New, Mexico, New Mexico State is beating Liberty by 28 points in the third quarter. I mean, yes, I, I, I don't disagree. This has been a very good schedule with a lot of winning teams on there. But maybe outside of Oregon, I don't think there's a great team on the schedule. There's good teams, and they weren't able to win some of those close games. But if you're going to be a, a good football team and have a great year – you can't go eight and five, even if the schedule's good. You got you got to win double digit games, and they didn't do so. And they had the talent to do it. I, I love that point about Jaron Hall and Mitch. Jaron Hall is a great BYU quarterback. He's making a case to be maybe the best independent era quarterback that BYU had with some of the the performances and wins that he has put up these past two years. You and and you're not able to have a great year with that kind of production throwing Puka and. So it's you know it's been a a, a memorable football year in that you've had some great moments. But in terms of wins and losses, it was a disappointing year. And whatever happens tonight at Stanford is not going to change that. I guess maybe what I, I, I'm kind of looking at, Matt, is that I feel like coming into the season, we knew the defense was flawed. We were never buying into this defense throughout True. spring ball and fall camp. And it, now I didn't think it was going to be a huge step back like it was in October. Right. But, you know, I, I think – I just feel like I, I feel like this is kind of what maybe we, what we should have been the predictions. I think we just naturally looked at Jaron Hall is elite. This team has so much experience, and that experience alone will lend itself to a ten win season. But I do think there's been a step up in some of these group of five teams, the level of play from them, and to where it's made it a, a week in week out grind for this BYU team. Now, I feel like this BYU squad's pretty fresh, all things considered, coming into this game. As far as the injury front goes, you know, Braden Keim and Campbell Barrington, two backup offensive linemen, they're out for the season. But by all accounts, they're pretty healthy. You know, Peyton Wilgar, he's not expected, and he's been, you know, he walks around the the football facility, not at practice. 
he's like with his wife and kid, and it's like, oh, he's he's not practicing right now. Like, oh, he's not even around the team. That's BYU's captain. What's that all about? But um, you know, it, it's but by all accounts, though, they're pretty healthy. So I, I'm expected to see you know what kind of a, a relatively healthy BYU team against a Pac-12 squad. What does that look like? And because I, I do think that Boise game was a lot of progress from the defensive side. Now, look, after this season, Matt, after that bowl game, heck, after, to me, I'd start making changes next week if I'm Kalani Satake. I, I would maybe consider things after the Arkansas game. But there's got to be some changes to the coaching staff. That needs to happen. But navigating all these ups and downs, I, I can kind of appreciate this moment, a weird late-night game at the end of the season – and I, I kind of find some intrigue to what this team can do and rise to the occasion and beat a, a Stanford program that, uh, you know, just uh, has always been uh, a program that gives BYU some fits on the recruiting trail so they can have a little bit of a feather in their cap against Stanford for once. We'll have coverage uh, all day long on KSL Sports for BYU and Stanford. Kick at 9 p.m. And uh, you can listen to the pregame starting at 7 p.m. right here on KSL News Radio. We'll take the break here. On Cougar Sports Saturday, much more to go. We'll have Fessy Satake in about 45 minutes from now to preview that Stanford matchup. BYU basketball just got back from the Bahamas. Beautiful place that they stayed at, by the way. That place is phenomenal. And they had a crazy comeback win in their last match against Dayton. We'll react to that and uh, just get you caught up on what's going on in the world of BYU basketball. We'll do that next here. Cougar Sports Saturday all afternoon long here. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday, live from Palo Alto, California. I'm not I'm never sure. Maybe Matt can fill me in, Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte here. Matt is our resident Bay Area expert. Oh yeah. Uh, I feel I feel like I'm out of place being here and you're not. Is it Stanford or is it Palo Alto? I the AP style book says Stanford, but I've always known it as Stanford is Stanford is not a town. Stanford is just the university. So you are the game is being played in Palo Alto. That's where that's where Stanford is. So I would say Palo Alto personally, and it's yeah, it's, it's a beautiful little town. Actually, it's it's incredible it there. It really is. I I'm staying here at this Marriott Residence Inn. There were some Cougar fans down in the lobby with some of the the morning breakfast. I was chatting it up with them, and let me just tell you this, Cougar fans are going to overtake this stadium. Yes. And even if it's just even if it's just 10,000 BYU fans, even if it's just 8,000 BYU fans, 5,000 BYU fans, they are going to overtake this stadium. On my plane ride in yesterday, there was actually some BYU football players that are gray shirting this year. Micah Kafusi, Ace Kafusi, Kyle Vassell, uh, they were on the plane ride coming into uh, this game, so they're, they're stopping in to, to watch the game. But yeah, BYU fans are going to show up. In strong numbers. There was a nice contingent of BYU fans, too, in the Bahamas, Matt. Best beach I've ever been to, by the way. Right outside Atlantis. It's incredible. So you're the Bay Area expert. You're the Hawaii (laughs) expert. You're the Bahamas expert. What, like, tropical, beautiful paradise are you not an expert of, Matt? I I am an expert of those places because I got married late, Mitch. I had a lot of single travel time. But, uh, gosh, Atlantis, that was such a cool venue. It was a bummer that BYU... Uh, wasn't able to show as well as we would have liked him to, but uh, man, uh, you got to love that second half performance against Dayton, though, Mitch. Oh, I did, and so I'm. I get off the plane ride in uh, San Francisco SFO. First time I've actually flown into San Francisco, by the way. SFO and is not ideal. 
Agree? No. A horrible I airport. <laughs> I, I kind of got confused with the rental car signage, and I'm like, where do I go? And I felt so out of place. Anyway, uh, but I get in the car, and uh, Mark Durant, our good friend, and Tyson Jackson, another good friend, uh, we are we listen to them on the uh, the call, and it's 32 to 9. I, I seriously get into the car when it's 32 to 9, <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow. And th- this is just not going well for BYU, and – then I, you know, driving to my hotel and and they're chipping away at this thing. And Trey Stewart has a has a nice knockdown shot, and they just keep chipping chipping away. And and then next thing you know, it's second half. I settle and watch the game, and BYU just dominated Dayton, uh, suffocated them defensively. Dayton had two players, starting guards, go down with injury, but still, BYU made the necessary shots to get that win, and and then they win in overtime over Dayton, and. That was such a important win for this BYU team because had they gone 0-3 out of that tournament, I felt like this, the wheels could have came off uh, on this season already. Uh, that was almost like a season-defining you know, win a little bit early on for this new and young BYU team under Mark Pope. I totally agree. I, I felt like when they had that comeback in overtime, I mean, the comeback really happened before overtime, but they finished it off in overtime. I felt like... That team really needed that game. It just felt like, man, they played so well against San Diego State. That one didn't go their way. And then they had the loss against USC and Butler. And it just felt like, man, they needed a breakthrough win to kind of get the mojo back. And I I just loved, especially in overtime, seeing Jackson Robinson hitting some big shots. Dallin Hall continues to play well. And I like that Dallin Hall took 11 shots, too, because I felt like, up until that game, maybe he was too passive as the backup point guard. I wanted to see him get more involved sh- uh, shooting the ball, which he did. So that was a really nice game, and it, I think it it ends the season or the, the battle for Atlantis, excuse me, on a high note, where you can come back now. The schedule lightens up a little bit, and you can just maybe get some wins and build some confidence. So just to recap, in case our listeners were enjoying their Thanksgiving holiday, and hopefully all of you. Had a fantastic Thanksgiving. On Wednesday, BYU lost to USC 82-76. to And then on Thanksgiving night, they lost to ba- Butler, who I felt was not a good team. That, that was a bad loss, yeah. and I think BYU knew that was a bad loss. They lost 75-70. to And then they bounced back on Friday, down 32-9. to They take down Dayton 79-75 to in overtime, and they did it without Spencer Johnson, too, who suffered a knee injury in the Butler game, unknown in terms of the timeline of how long he's going to be out. They're going to have some more evaluations, I would imagine, maybe today or or Monday uh, for Spencer Johnson, potentially tomorrow, as as they get back from their travels to the Bahamas. But to get that win without Spencer Johnson, who was emerging as the clutch go-to shooter on this team, uh, I think that this there's there's a little bit more fight to this BYU basketball team than last year's group. I think last year's team, had they got down to a 23-point hole, they're rolling over and dying. This team actually fought, which I think speaks a little bit to the locker room and to the willingness. This is just kind of a young team that almost doesn't know any better, and they're just filling it out as they go, and it was a nice win for the group. Really nice win, and I thought there was something really interesting that took place in that game. I wonder if you uh, caught the same thing. Dallin Hall plays 30 minutes. That's the same amount of minutes as Rudy Williams, and they showed the court in some moments with Rudy moving off ball, which I felt like 
really helped Rudy Williams, uh, yeah. maybe even more so than Dallin Hall. To me, it just it feels obvious at this point in the year, Mitch. Dallin Hall is the best point guard you have, and if you're going to unlock the abilities of Rudy Williams, you got to change his role. Maybe that sixth man, maybe that's some off the ball like we saw in the win against Dayton, but I think there's still a lot of shuffling that needs to happen for this team to reach their ceiling, whatever that is, and that might not even be good enough for the NIT, I don't know. But to me, it's becoming clear, Dallin Hall is the point guard, and let's find a role for Rudy Williams that makes him the best player he can be for this team. That's a great point, because Rudy, up until that Dayton game, he was a walking turnover. Yep. And the Nickel State game, he was plus one and assist to turnovers. It was tapering off, but man, it's just BYU has this turnover bug where they cough up the basketball a ton. It's not a surprise that, oh, the three ball starts knocking down. Oh, the turnovers are low, uh, are, are contained. They suddenly play well, and they beat a good team. Like, BYU's got talent. Yep. Uh, they're young and inexperienced, and they've never played together. Uh, but they got some individual pieces that you can work with, and, and you hope that uh, going into the Big 12 era that they're going to be uh, key pieces. I'm very curious, too, about the future of Dallin Hall because I said coming into the season to you in, in our private offline conversations where I felt like the one question I have about Dallin Hall, can he be a face-of-the-franchise type player or face-of-the-program type player in a Big 12 conference? In the WCC, he's an all-WCC conference guy. Heck, he might be good enough to be that this year because it's, it's based on conference play. But in the Big 12, can he lead a Big 12 program? I still have my questions on that. But still, man, the early returns on Dallin Hall, that guy has uh, a work ethic and a drive, and he just seems like, I mean, at some point he's going to hit a mission wall, but he's playing some great basketball early on in his career. And his vision, too. He talked about that at Media Day uh, in the interviews that we had here on Cougar Sports Saturday where he just feels like he has excellent vision as a point guard. We've seen that. There's no doubt – his ability to take care of the ball and distribute the basketball. I mean, he had five assists against Dayton to only two turnovers. He gets others involved. The offense is is better with Dallin Hall at the point guard. That, that's just the way that it is. And uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, they can figure out some lineups that unlocks all that potential. we got to get to a break here. News, traffic, and weather coming up on the other side. And then uh, we got to touch on Broadway. Zach, what is happening on the East Coast? We'll get you caught up with the New York J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets on the other side. Back after this. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maiamonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The final regular season week in college football. It's an eventful one right now in the sport. Michigan up on Ohio State 24-20. Man, what happened to the days of a three-yard and a cloud of dust in the Big Ten? It's... Actually, some high scoring midway through the third quarter. How about this, Cougar fans? Matt mentioned it earlier. Liberty, the team that BYU got smoked by, they're losing to New Mexico State, forty-two to seven. Tell me you're take. Tell me you're taking the Auburn job without telling me 
you're taking the Auburn job. That's Hugh Freeze, the head coach, where reports are surfacing that he has been in talks with the Auburn Tiger, Tigers to take their vacant head coach job. But we'll keep eyes on all of the action in college football right now. But we got to shift over to the pro scene, Matt, as former BYU star Zach Wilson. He's been benched. He's no longer QB1. In fact, he's not even active this weekend for the Jets. He's off the grid completely. He's QB3. What do we make of Zach getting benched? with the New York Jets at this juncture of the season? I think it's the wrong move for the Jets just because the Bears' defense is not good. And I, I think this would have been a great opportunity for Zach Wilson to play a bad D because say what you want about the Patriots and Bill Belichick, that guy is a great defensive mind, and Zach Wilson is not the only quarterback to struggle against a Bill Belichick defense. And I think if he had really struggled against the Bears – then certainly a benching would have been justified. Because, look, Robert Sala, when he made the announcement midweek, said that, oh, we're doing this for the benefit of Zach. His fundamentals are getting out of whack. We need to help him reset. I just feel like, man, it feels like the Jets are bailing. Even if that's true, I just have a hard time believing this staff, this ownership group, believes in him anymore. Because you just don't see a lot of number 2 overall picks, Mitch, especially at the quarterback position, benched before the end of their second year. It's, it's, it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's shocking because four or five weeks ago, Robert Sala was 150% behind Zach Wilson. So to me, this is a move that I, I interpret as, did players make a mass movement to Robert Sala where they're like, we don't want to play for this guy anymore? Oh, man. And Robert Sala looks at it and says, well, I'd rather Zach lose his job than I lose my job. Yep. And let's let's call it what it is, too. I mean, the Jets, for whatever reason, we talked in the opening segment about BYU's expectations. The expectations have gotten heightened, uh, have been become heightened for the Jets. They're 6-4, and four, and if they were 2-8, and eight, do they make this move? Probably not. I, I don't think they no would way. because it would still be the, the process of everything is centered around the QB, and this is a Jets franchise that is desperate – uh, to get back to the playoffs and have some sort of relevance uh, in, in that uh, New York market. I mean, they're, they're always a big thing, but uh, to be successful. And that's the thing, too, is that, you know, I, I feel like the Jets got a good GM in Joe Douglas. Robert is doing a nice job with that defense. The Jets have an outstanding D. But, you know, when have the Jets ever got it right with quarterbacks? I mean, that's something to keep in mind, too, uh, with all of this. But it, it just comes off, Matt, where, look, Zach – he struggled mightily in that Sunday game against the, the Patriots, and then he lost probably the second game in that post-game press conference by when he was asked, hey, uh, did you, do you feel like you let down the defense with your performance? And he simply said no. That, to me, as someone who's covered Zach, it kind of came off like a guy that uh, maybe had a little bit of a personal axe with that individual reporter, potentially, yep. uh, Connor Hughes, who's been going in on Zach Wilson uh, the last few weeks, and rightfully so. Like Zach has not played well because after that press conference, Zach did have a interview with one of the in-house media, Bob was will, Bob yeah. Yep. and uh, it sounded like he took a little bit more accountability. But still, in that moment, he it was not a good look for Zach and. It felt, like it's, it felt like it snowballed on him quite a bit. Zach addressed the media midweek. Here's what Zach Wilson had to say about uh, hitting the bench. We'll get that clip here in just a minute. Uh, 
I thought he, he handled it well, Mitch. Uh, all things considered, he said, hey, the way that I've been playing, it's uh, it, it's not, you know, I would bench myself too. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here for Zach. But, man, it just it just feels like the Jets gave up on him a little bit. And yeah. the thing that I think really kind of bothers me too about the situation, Mitch, is when teams do this, when they try and, and – and skip the process. You see this a lot in pro sports. One team in particular that that comes to mind with this is you remember when the Suns had a bunch of little point guards? They had Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic, and they had one yes. other guy. And they weren't they weren't supposed to be any good. And then they started to win, and they're like, "Oh, we're winning. We got to go all in." And they just blew the thing up. And then it took them until they got the number one pick with Aiton and Chris Paul to like kind of rebuild the franchise. When you're a a losing team and you're trying to build towards being a winning playoff team, you can't just, after one year, because you're you're beating expectations, then rewrite the narrative. That's what it feels like with the Jets a little bit, where it's like, well, hey, we're winning, so we have to get to the playoffs. And it's like, you weren't projected to go to the playoffs, and your expectations weren't to go to the playoffs. Your expectations were to get better. And you guys have gotten better. And I feel like the Jets changing their expectations mid-year to where now it's playoffs or bust, and they got to win all these games... I think it's going to hurt them in the long run, and, and this is why teams like the Jets just struggle to be good because you can't you can't just flip the switch and become a different franchise. They still have so many young pieces that they have to develop, including Zach, and now they're they're not going to develop him any. For, I mean, at least not on the field. They're going to see if they can do it during the week in practice. But I don't see how this is a step forward for Zach Wilson. I just don't. Well, what's more, even more shocking, Matt, is that. Zach was listed as a health, healthy, inactive player this weekend. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, he's QB2, and give Mike White the starting QB nod, but if Mike White struggles, well, Zach goes back in. He doesn't have a chance to go in. He's inactive this week, and that, to me, was where you start to th- think and wonder, are the Jets, as you said, giving up on him? Because if it was just simply, hey, you know, we're going to put you on the bench, but keep working – you know, where you'll get back in there, it doesn't feel like that. And what do the Jets do if Mike White is a dumpster fire against a bad Bears defense? Do they just go with Joe Flacco? Yeah, they will. I guess. I guess they will. I mean, look, Zach is not immune from blame. He has cost the Jets some games, and they've won some games this year despite – of Zach Wilson's play, like some of his numbers are not good at all. I mean, it's they're worse it's than outside. they're worse than Sam Darnold in through the first twenty yes. games of their careers. That's bad. Yeah, it it hasn't been a, a great start to Zach's career, but I I think that you wonder if it's just a franchise situation, kind of like I hate to bring up the comparison, but it's it's a BYU show we're on here, but Steve Young. Yep. You know, where Steve Young was with a terrible franchise back in the day, the, the creamsicle Buccaneers, and he gets away from that dumpster fire, and then he goes to the 49ers, and he's a backup, but uh, he learned under Joe Montana and Bill Walsh, and, and then he became a Super Bowl champion, and you wonder if maybe that's the career arc, potentially, if, he can, if Zach can get away from an awful franchise in the Jets, uh, maybe it changes differently. I think, I think that was always the fear, Matt, for BYU fans was that, they're th- they're pumped for Zach to be the number two pick, but they're like, uh, why the Jets? Why is it got to be the Jets? Because the Jets haven't had a good quarterback since Joe freaking Namath. Like it's been so long since the Jets have had a reliable QB one, and maybe it feels like the 
uh, Zach's going to be churned out and spit out uh, once again by that New York market. The Steve Young example, I'm so glad you brought that up because it, it's. I think it's the perfect example for what Zach needs to materialize going forward. And, and before we get to this, I want to get your thoughts on, on if he should stay or go. I mean, it's not totally up to him. I mean, if the Jets let him go, then he's going to go. But I just love that example because he went to the 49ers – knowing that he wasn't going to play, but that he was going to sit under a uh, the best football mind in the game at that time. Bill Walsh was the best offensive mind in football in the 80s and early 90s. And he, he, he knew, leaving Tampa Bay, I'm not going to play, but I'm going to go learn from Bill Walsh, the master of the West Coast offense. And I don't know if you've read his autobiography book, which is phenomenal, but he really struggled with that because he wanted to play. And Steve Young has been on the record many times saying that he struggles with anxiety and it was really hard for him not to play football. But he waited his turn and became a better football player. So if it is over for the for Zach and the Jets, and I hope that it is, Mitch, honestly, I really do. Because like you, I just don't believe that the Jets uh, have the stability to help someone become a better football player at the quarterback position. They ran off Mark Sanchez after he... Had he, they had a double-digit win season. He led them deep into the playoffs, and then they, they ran him out of town. So I, I just don't think the Jets is the place for him. For me, I would love to see him leave, and I, who knows if they're going to do it. That's pretty crazy to maybe release a second overall pick after two years. I have a hard time believing that. But if they let him go, I want him to go learn from a good offensive mind. So, like, a te- like if the Niners get rid of Jimmy G after this year, do you go there? and battle with Trey Lance and maybe be the next 49ers quarterback because you know the Niners loved him in the draft yeah. process. They just couldn't get up to get him. And even if you sit behind Trey Lance, maybe you go and do that. Or the Chiefs, do you go learn from Andy Reid? And you know, and you may not play for a year or two, but you'll sit behind Mahomes and Andy Reid. I just those are some of the places I'd love to see him go and even one other place that I might love to see him be a part of next year. And you could stay in the same stadium. The Giants, and I know what you're thinking. The Giants are not very good. They're having a good year this year, but they haven't been very stable either. Their new head coach is an offensive genius. He fixed Josh Allen, Mitch. Josh Allen is who he is because of Brian Dable. We know that they don't love Daniel Jones. Maybe you could go in there and battle with him. I I just I don't want to see him stay in New York. That's that's how I feel. Do you feel the same way? I'm with you. I, I want Zach to to get a new start. I mean, think about this too, Matt. Last year when Mike White had some games where he, he played pretty well and led the Jets to some victories, it felt like Jets fans were ready to turn on Zach then. I mean, that that is just the most volatile franchise. I'm not going to say I know Jets fandom, the Jets franchise. I don't. But I just kind of based off, and I, and I know social media is not real, but it's the lens that we get. And based off of social media, that fan base is insane. They are nuts. They're never satisfied. Like nope. one week, they're in love with Zach, and they're melting down that, oh, no, he got hurt. And now it's like, get rid of him. Move <laughs> on from him. I'm just like, you people are never satisfied, and nope. you're all just six and four, and you could completely bottom out and still not make the playoffs with Mike White or Joe Flacco. I don't get it. It's just uh, I would love to see Zach in a new spot. Uh, but at the same time, I want to see him get another crack at uh, just – 
what he can do this season, but it doesn't feel like that path is there if he's going to be a, a healthy scratch. It's only there if they miss the playoffs, and there's like two games to go, and they're eliminated. Then they'll throw him back yeah. out there, but he's not going to play again if they're still battling for a playoff spot, which is he's only lost to the Patriots, Mitch. He's only <laughs> you know. lost to the Patriots this year, and he's benched. It's hard to believe. Shocking. But, yeah, and remember when uh, Sala said, we're going we're gonna to lift you up. This isn't going to be a place that, that detracts. We're going to lift you up. Not anymore. <laughs> oh, how it quickly changes in that uh, NFL world. we got to take a timeout. On the other side, we'll continue to talk some more BYU football as the Cougars get ready to take on Stanford. We're live in Palo Alto. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday, live here on KSL News Radio, KSL News Time, 12.51 p.m. BYU football kicking off tonight, the regular season finale. It's a 9 p.m. kickoff. It's, by my count, uh, I was looking back in the archives, the second latest mainland game that BYU has had in the Independence era. The Cougars had a 9.15 kick against San Jose State. Back in 2015, that was a game that BYU won 17-16. to uh, So another Bay Area game, another late-night kick for BYU as they close out the regular season tonight against the Stanford Cardinal. And, Matt, this is a game where, you know, as we talked about, what's at stake, that can be in question. But it's another opportunity, though, for BYU to get another win. And Kalani Satake sees that opportunity in front of him against the Stanford team. A lot of talent seen on film, well-coached team. I mean, Coach Shaw is one of the best out there, so this is uh, their last game, and, and they're going to find a lot of motivation and strength and winning one for their team and their seniors as well. So looking forward to the matchup, and we know it's going to be a tough game, but excited that we get to empty the tank and do this thing the right way and make, make sure we, we show up at our best in all three phases this weekend and looking forward to that game. That was Kalani Satake talking about the matchup against Stanford, which... I keep going back to something you said at the beginning of the show, Mitch, and I think it's a good point, which is if you're able to beat Stanford, you guarantee a winning season. And then, look, is not going to play a great opponent in the bowl game. Unfortunately, in the Kalani era, they haven't always played their best against some of these inferior teams. (laughs) But they will have a game against a team that they should beat. And if you go 8-4 and and you finish the year on a four-game winning streak, that is some good momentum going into the Big 12 because – the middle of October just felt like, oh my gosh, all momentum is gone. Recruiting's dipping. Going to this is a disaster. Going to the Big Twelve. Well, I think that could be rewritten if they do win their next two football games. I think so too, and I think that you know it would just be a, show a lot of fight from this BYU team that uh, they'd want to bounce back. And you know, I will say it, it blows me away, Matt, that BYU they they always have that. Uh, that fight in them. You saw it yesterday in basketball with uh, the Dayton basketball game in, in the battle for Atlantis. And you see it with football in that Boise state game, you know, even in the East Carolina loss and the Boise win, BYU has shown a lot more fight than I was expecting after, you know, they got on that three, four game losing streak. And, and that's been, you know, something I will honestly remember about this team However it ends up shaking out, I, I, I know it's an underperforming season. I get that. I'm not going to excuse that and do moral victories, but I have been impressed with their willingness to keep battling because so many in college football, I think many programs would just say they're done, they're moving on. But 
There's a lot of fight in these BYU players, and that's something that has kind of just been in the DNA of BYU football and BYU sports, for that matter, for so long. And that's kind of shown itself in this in, in this season. And I'm curious to see how you know BYU's defense plays tonight. And you know that Tanner McKee, when he you know was going through the recruiting process in the 2018 recruiting cycle. Man, I thought he was going to be just uh, an all-world talent. I still think he's going to be an NFL quarterback. He struggled. Maybe it's a byproduct of the system he's in. Who knows? Uh, if he goes in the transfer portal after this year, or I would love to see BYU pounce and get that guy. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, he was he's an LDS kid. He doesn't practice or do anything on Sundays. You just thought, that's the perfect guy to go to BYU. I remember that Aaron Roderick and Jeff Grimes – after they got hired, I think one of their first tasks that they they had was to make a late push to sway Tanner McKee to sign with BYU, and you know he listened to that and he was kind of you know impressed I think with with Aaron Roderick, but and that's I think where there was some hope that maybe after his mission he comes to BYU, but um, I gotta imagine you know if he's not happy on the farm, um, you know maybe if, if if he did enter that portal after this year, and again that's just speculation, you know it's nothing's happened. Uh, you would have to wonder if BYU could be a spot. I, I would imagine BYU would make him priority number one because Stanford is, an, is a program that this could be David Shaw's last game. You know, he's one of the highest paid coaches in college football, and the return on investment has been poor. But he was uh, a guy this week in his press conference that did not sound like an individual that's going to be fired. In fact, he was talking about how now they're going to be more active in the transfer portal. Stanford's been very leery of, of getting portal additions. They're going to be more receptive to adding mid-year enrollees. So it sounds like he might be you know staying in that post after this season. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, but So there, there's some interesting kind of deep-cut storylines oh, to this yeah. game <laughs> that have some interesting tentacles, if you will. Totally. Uh, the Tanner McKee one is so interesting. I, I know a lot of people are saying he's off to the league. I just don't see how... He would be a a high enough draft pick to leave after this year, after what right. he's done, and it, it, I, I, I don't think it has anything to do with his talent. I think he's got great talent. He's got an NFL body. He's got an NFL arm. He's probably lacking some of the current NFL mobility. But uh, you know, fifteen years ago, maybe he's like a top, you know, two round pick just because of the size and arm strength. But I just don't see how. With his body of work up to this point, he's a top four-round quarterback. And so, I, I'm with you. It, man, if that guy hits the portal, you should move heaven and earth to get this dude just because of the talent and and the connections to, to BYU as well. I mean, he, you know, he, there's a lot of family connections to BYU as well. So, and he's a married man now. You know, if it's just a one-year stop, who cares? It, It'll be so interesting to see what a lot of these dudes do. Because I think BOU's got some players, too, that might be in a similar position where you're wondering, are they going to stay? Are they going to hit the portal? What do they do? Uh, the offseason is going to be very interesting. It's coming up in, like, what, a week? Like a, a week or two weeks? There's going to be chaos in college football. It's going to be fun to see. Next week, next Saturday, will be championship Saturday in college football. And then that following Monday, so that would be, oh, let's see here, December 5th? That will be when the transfer portal opens. And let me tell you, that is going to be wild and <laughs> yeah. crazy over those six weeks. And Cougar fans, just brace yourselves. There will probably be BYU guys that maybe are, are names that you know 
that will be in that portal, I imagine. I mean, I think that's going to happen. After a year where guys underperform and the team underperforms, that's expected to happen. Yeah. But long-term, BYU, I think, will be okay. And I think they'll find a way to you know get some key pieces like whoever it may be out of that transfer portal. we got to take a timeout, though. We're live from the Palo Alto host of the Stanford-BYU game tonight at 9 o'clock. We'll continue to talk BYU football with Fessy Satake. Matt caught up with the assistant uh, passing game coordinator, and you'll hear that interview next here on Cougar Sports Saturday. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Got it for three. Cougars by 20. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hour two getting underway here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Michigan just drew a PI the end zone. Mitch, are you watching this Mich- the game, Michigan Ohio State? I have to assume Mitch is watching the game. I mean, it's it's Michigan Ohio State for heaven's sakes. So uh, Michigan is up twenty four to twenty. It is early in the fourth quarter. They are in the red zone. And they're about to score. So we'll keep you up to date if you're driving around. The game, number two and number three, Ohio State and Michigan. It is a close one at the horseshoe. Right now, though, we want to get back to BYU football. And we want to learn a little bit more about this offense. And also scouting Stanford with pass game coordinator and wide receiver coach Fessy Satake. Fessy, thanks for joining the program. I want to start things off by... uh talking about something crazy that happened in the Utah Tech game. So Aaron Roderick earlier in the week said that for sure they knew your guys' plays early on. And, uh, you know, I remember being in the press box and, you know, the quarterbacks running to the sideline getting the call. I'm like, what is going on? So when did you guys realize uh, this could be happening and we need to change? Uh, we realized it after about two possessions. Um, and when we considered making a change, we decided to give it one more go. And we... We, we scored 28 straight points. Uh, we had a great, great 28-point second quarter, and um, and so that was enough reason for us to continue that operation. And then there was a couple times in the third quarter where there was a, a play or two that um, that they got you know pretty good. And and then um, you know the fourth quarter, most of the fourth quarter, we went to that quarterback to the sideline deal. And honestly, like credit credit to them. You know, I mean, I mean they have connections here, and it's just. That's part of the college football deal and, and coaching. You know, if you if you have um, any advantage you can get, you might as well take it. So credit to those guys. There's no complaints on our end. That's that's our job is to try and um, maneuver around those things. And I, I thought our guys did a, a good job of uh, adjusting to some of the slight changes we made. When that happens, is it just? It's not that there's a concern per se, but it's just a time thing because the quarterback's going to run to the sideline and run back to the huddle. Yeah, it's a time thing, and and uh, luckily we didn't run Jared a ton, Jaron a ton, but there's a lot of running. Uh, <laughs> right. You add up those steps. I, I wish I could take those steps, um, but then not be the one who's in charge of the play. Right. I need to lose that weight, but um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's a combination of of tiring the quarterback out and um, making sure we're not up against the the, the game clock. From a passing perspective, and I bring this up with you being the passing coordinator and the, and, and the wide receivers coach, but just a phenomenal day passing the football. I'm 
I'm 90% sure that that was the most passing yards a quarterback had in the independent era. Um, what was clicking so well in the passing game in that game? Yeah, it was a, it was a combination of two things. I, I, uh, those guys were made it a point to take Puka out of the game plan. Um, double teaming him, bracketing over the top, sometimes three essentially over him. And uh, so it was, a, it was a combination of him drawing a lot of attention and then the other um, piece of our guys winning the one-on-one routes on the perimeter and Jaron connecting on those. Um, obviously, Keanu had a hat-trick in the first half. Chase had a big touchdown. Those were a result of winning the one-on-one matchup and Jaron just putting the ball in the right spot. And so credit to those guys for making plays and, and um, you know, kind of confirming that you know, we're not a one-trick pony, and we have we have guys we can spread our, uh, the ball around amongst all the positions. 3,000-yard passer, Jaron is now, and he's closing in on 30 touchdown passes. Those are big numbers in college football. What's impressed you the most about his play distributing the football this year? Yeah, just how, how poised he's been. You know, we've had a lot of, you know, everyone can look at this as an up-and-down season. There's been a lot of up-and-down moments even within the game. And um, if you're not someone who's who's you know mentally you know strong enough to handle some of the storms that come in a game, um, you can get exposed. And Jaron's consistently been able to ha- uh, weather a lot of the, the the ups and downs that have happened in a game. And um, we've seen a lot of different looks defensively. I mean, amongst the opponents we've played, there's been a lot of. Um, games where we've we've stepped into the game thinking something was going to happen and the, the the team has done something that they hadn't put on film up to that point and so you kind of have had to adjust to that it's a lot of times where we have more second half adjustments um, teams are teams are doing a lot to, to take things away and Jaren's done a great job at, at uh, adjusting to those those halftime adjustments or or anything within the game All right, that is Fessy Satake, the pass game coordinator and wide receiver coach. And Mitch, hasn't he done just a phenomenal job this year uh, from a pass game perspective? I've just been so impressed with not only the play of Jaron Hall, but also the play of this wide receiver group. Because it it has not been the same guys really in any single game, but yet the production has remained high. They've done a great job, and it's one of the reasons why Fessy Satake was – named a Broyles Award nominee, which is given to the, the top assistant coach in college football. Now, I know the Broyles Award is named their semifinalist, and Fessy wasn't on that, in that group. But still, to be a nominee with all the assistant coaches in college football, to be one of you know 54 or so, that, was, that spoke highly, I think, of, of what Fessy has done for BYU this year and just in his career, too. The, his career arc from being a Southern Utah wide receiver, then – coaching at his alma mater and then going up to Weber State and becoming an OC there and now at BYU, he's done a fantastic job. And at some point, I wonder if, if a group of five or maybe even a power five school comes calling for him as an OC. He's just done excellent work on BYU staff and you know hopefully BYU can make sure that he's still content and happy to be at BYU. I think it definitely helps that He's working with the man he calls his brother. Obviously, it's his cousin, but there, there's a brotherhood there with Kalani Satake and Fessy. So I think Fessy has done excellent work for BYU, and I think these wide receivers, it's not slowing down after this year, Matt. You know, let's let's assume you know Puka Nakua moves forward with that uh, invite to the Senior Bowl and goes on to the NFL. 
I still think the wide receivers are going to be pretty good next year with Chase Roberts coming back, Cody Epps returns from an injury, Keanu Hill, you add a Josiah Phillips from from the signing day class out of Sierra Canyon. Uh, you can go on and on. Devin Downing from American Fork. There is a lot of talent at the wide receiver position, and a lot of that credit goes to Fessy Satake. Yeah, and it, 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 offensively for sure, when you look at next next year's team, and we, we'll have plenty of time in the offseason to break this down, but I think the wide receiver group will be the strength of that offense next year, but for sure, because there's going to be new pieces on the offensive line. I, I think we're all assuming that Jaron Hall will go pro and you'll be breaking in a new quarterback. Chris Brooks will be gone. Lopini Katoa will be gone. Remains to be seen what happens with Jackson McChesney, but there's going to be new guys at the running back position. Miles Davis, you know, we'll see if he returns and maybe takes over that job. But that wide receiver group, you got Chase Roberts, you got Cody Epps, Keanu Hill. That's a really good starting place for this offense next year. It is. And, you know, that was one area when Kalani took over the program back in 2016. I just felt like, you know, I, I don't know what to expect to have how they're going to accumulate skill position talent. And I, I thought the strength was going to be at the D line. What do I know? I guess, because the D line is the area where it's a weakness and the wide receiver spot is an absolute strength for BYU football. And again, credit to Fessy Satake. He's got a knack too for, uh, finding guys that you know no one is thinking of and projecting. He's very good at projecting talent. That was the case with Dax Milne. He he has an eye for that and a knack. It, there's a science to it. It's not everyone's gifted with that, and he's very good at projecting talent. So uh, very excited to see you know the, the the potential for for Fessy and and again a lot of these coaches like BYU is not a broken team. I think sometimes fans look at, you know, what's happened this year and think, oh, it's just broken. It's done. They're, they're just terrible. They're down and out. BYU's done. No, no, no. There's, there's, they just got to fine-tune some things. It's, it's a growing pain. It's, it's unfortunate because when you have a star signal caller like Jaron Hall, you don't want growing pains to happen with that guy. You want to have that magical season that Jaron Hall should probably, probably be part of. I mean, that's what's really frustrating about this year, honestly, because I think Jaron is just such a uh, special talent and a great leader. You want something big for him and be in that national conversation of college football. But there's individual guys like Fessy, like A-Rod, who they've had their moments this year where it hasn't been great. Like, no one's going to excuse the offense in October, some of the short-yarded situations. But still, there's some nice pieces to work with going forward into the Big 12 that I feel like these coaches – some of these guys will be instrumental pieces in turning BYU into a successful Big 12 team. And and I believe Fessy Sataki is definitely one of those people that uh, you keep on this coaching staff, and I think he'll do a great job even in the Big 12 era. I think the one thing that needs to be improved uh, specifically about the roster going forward is they got to hit a few more home runs in the transfer portal. Uh, we heard from Houston Hamuli this week, and we're going to touch on him next because his ties to Stanford are very are, are very unique. But he just didn't materialize uh, for one way or another this year, and 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 that's been difficult because he was a productive fullback at Stanford and hasn't seen the field. If BOU wants to keep winning early in the Big Twelve, they got to be able to hit hit home runs in the transfer portal because there's been some nice additions from the transfer portal. But, uh, you know, like Puka Nakua is a home run, right? They need a few more of those 
Because Chris Brooks, he wasn't a home run this year, and it pains me to say that because I thought he was going to be a 1,000-yard guy. But for whatever reason, his role has not been as big as it was for Tyler Algier. He said Tyler Algier had three times the carries last year than, than Brooks had this year, Mitch. Think about that. They just, For whatever reason, they just have not given him the ball. And, and if they're going to go out and get a Chris Brooks guy, they need these guys to hit like Puka Nakua. And, and I think that's the one thing that – for sure, when you talk about is this program going to be good in the Big 12 and what they need to do better, they when they get guys out of the transfer portal, they need those guys to hit. They do. And, you know, Puka is an all-time talent, and it helped getting him. You know, I think Kingsley is, is on that uh, on that trajectory. I know Kingsley last week had some had, you know, poor decisions. He was making some reckless penalties, I thought, last week. And it felt like it was a little bit personal. We haven't even touched on that, the whole Utah Tech bit about smack talk. Goodness gracious. But, you know, so Kingsley, Puka, they're an elite tier. I'd say Tyson Williams, even though he played in only four games, he's in that elite tier of transfer portal additions. But, you know, a lot of them have been kind of, eh, it's okay. Like, and, And I feel like going forward, if BYU can be armed with an NIL collected, and I say that because that's just what the going rate is in the Big 12. That's what that's the name of the game in the Big 12 conference. Let's call it what it is. I mean, there is these these coaches aren't directly paying, but you're now seeing schools like Clemson saying, "Hey, donate money to this NIL collective." They're not telling how it you know works and what type type of kickbacks go into those players actually earning that NIL, but they're straight up saying, "Donate to this collective," which is indirectly saying. Do this so we can pay our players. So that's the going rate in college football. So you got to get that armed and ready for BYU. And uh, if you can do that, I feel like there's a lot to sell with this place because the great thing about transfers is that they've had maybe some adversity and they feel like, you know what, it's all about ball now. And BYU is a great place to focus on ball. And now you've got a Power 5 conference to arm the, the case with and also to you're going to be eventually playing in an era where it's the 12-team playoff, where you win this league, you're in the big dance, you're in the show, you're playing for a national title, and that's something that's going to be so special for BYU. And I'm so fascinated to see, you know, what how this evolves going forward for BYU and the way that they recruit and the way that they assemble a roster because all the things that used to be knocks on BYU, that's out the window. So this upcoming offseason is going to be fascinating, and Fessy Satake and and we'll see what the rest of this coaching staff looks like for BYU in year one of the Big 12. We're taking another timeout. On the other side, we'll get you some score updates around college football as Michigan and Ohio State rages on. And like Matt said, we'll check in on Houston Haymooley, one of the unique crossovers between the Stanford-BYU matchup. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, live from Palo Alto here on KSL News Radio. Some interesting scores in the world of college football right now. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte coming to you live from Palo Alto, California, side of BYU and Stanford. That's that's going to be uh, another lifetime away, it feels like, 9 p.m. tonight, BYU and the Cardinal. But there's a lot of good college football going on right now, Matt. Most notably, number two, Ohio State versus number three, Michigan. Michigan is up 31 to 20 with 11:15 left in the fourth quarter. I'm telling you, Matt, I did not see this coming. I thought it was all Buckeyes all day. This is this is shocking. I'll, I'll be honest. It's best for the Big Ten though, because if Michigan were to lose, 
they do not have a resume that would I, I believe would get them into the Final Four. I just, I just don't. When you have wins over mm. UConn, Hawaii, and Colorado State in your non-conference, and then the Big Ten, Big Ten has not been that good this year. Let, let's, I mean, yeah. you could make an argument, Mitch, and it pains me to say this. You can make an argument the Pac-12 has been better than the Big Ten this year, top to bottom. Uh, they don't, I agree. They don't have an Ohio State or a Michigan at the top. But after that, there's a lot of better teams in the Pac-12 than the Big Ten. So if Michigan were to win, I think they'll get in because they'll probably play a Purdue team in the Big Ten championship and win that game. And then Ohio State will have a nice win against Notre Dame. So uh, it might be best for the Big Ten. But this this has been a little surprising. However, Michigan's offensive line, Mitch, has been maybe the cream of the crop in college football these past two years. And they have been great against the Buckeyes today. Honestly, watching this game makes me feel like if BYU wants to be uh, to compete in the Big 12 consistently, you got to take a page out of the Michigan book in terms of what they've done in the trenches. Because Mich- Michigan has a good uh, recruiting pool. I'm not saying they don't, but they don't recruit guys like Ohio State, Mitch. And they have no. a high academic standard at Michigan, too. They can't take anybody. And they have built such good play in the trenches that they can compete with teams like Ohio State now. And it's, it took Harbaugh a long time to get there. But if you're BYU, it's like, man, the recipe here is we got to be top 25 good in the trenches. And if we are, like BYU was in the old days, then you can compete with a lot of teams in college football. You know, it, it's interesting you bring that up, Matt, because I've always felt, and I'm, I'm saying this, and this term I'm about to use is just because of what college football places on brands, but uh, – BYU is kind of like a poor man's Michigan in a way. You know, like I always saw some parallels between BYU to Michigan and Utah to Ohio State. Not look, Utah's not Ohio State, but like that rivalry where it's like this kind of volatile red crowd where they're like always angry and like BYU is more reserved and more Michigan. They're always told they're holier than thou, that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, like I, I, I agree with you. Like it's got to start up in the trenches. It's yep. got to be physical football. And tonight, BYU and Stanford. Stanford was once known as a physical brand of football when they had Nerd Nation rocking and roll with Jim Harbaugh, who's about to get a second consecutive win against Ohio State. You know, then David Shaw carried it over, and they they just kept things rolling. It's it's kind of bottomed out for Stanford, but. I've been surprised that BYU hasn't been as physical, and I wish one of those guys that would have been a physical force for BYU this year was Houston Haymouli, and Houston came in as a grad transfer walk-on. He didn't need to do this. He already got his graduate or his degree at Stanford. He's a pre-med student. He didn't need this, but he loves BYU football, and there was a belief that maybe BYU was going to expand his role. That just hasn't been the case, Matt. No, it hasn't, and it's been disappointing, Mitch. Uh, Houston, he spoke with the media this week. Here's what Houston had to say about playing against his old teammates in Palo Alto. Yeah, I'm excited. I am so excited to go back over there and play my old teammates. We talked about it at the beginning of the year. Now it's finally here, and you yeah. can really zero in and focus on it. Mm-hmm. What do you expect the experience to be like? Um, I think a term I use way too much is surreal. I think I've used that for every experience at BYU, going back there, but it is. You know, it's... You know, I'm going back to where I first played college football with the team where I first fell in love with football. I want to see him play, Mitch, against Stanford. Quite frankly, just he, I feel like, has deserved 
an opportunity to, to play in this game because of the way that he has played on special teams and just his team attitude. We know he's not been happy with his role because in spring football, he was actually used quite a bit. Now I know it's spring football, and that's experimental, but, man, this dude, uh, he... I feel like he can help the team. I just, I just feel like, especially in the run game, having a a fullback back there that can block him. I feel like he could be used. I really want to see him play tonight. Well, Matt, I agree with you because Aaron Roderick this week talked about how short yardage situations have been a problem. That is, was the Houston Haymuli role at a minimum in my mind. Look, Houston's a guy that he hasn't had a carry in his college career. He was a former Stanford captain in 2021, but and he's been playing college football since 2018. He's never had a carry in his whole career. I would like I would love to see BYU give him a tote one tonight. Just give him a chance, and you know, two. Let's see what he can do. If it's a third and one, it's a fourth and one. Because I want BYU to be aggressive in this game. Because you're right, Matt. To the in the grand scheme of everything, there isn't much at stake. I get that, but I think like when you drill it down and kind of get deep into the weeds, there are some things that's at play. But I do want to see them aggressive because the the stakes aren't too high. Be aggressive, and if you're a fourth and one, and maybe you're in your own territory, get Houston in there. Why not? It, it's like. I Especially was, when you stunned. can't move the ball on third and short. They're one of the worst teams in college football in short yardage. I have been, I have been stunned that he hasn't got an opportunity. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say, this was Mike Allstott, that you were just not playing. I'm, like, I'm not saying that here. But right. in, those, in, in those games against, say, Notre Dame, when you need that yard, BYU maybe wins that game, and Notre Dame's the 13th-ranked team in the country next year, and how are we looking at this season if they win that game? Total, so Different, totally different. Absolutely. So uh, give him a tote. I want to see him get a chance to play against his old team. It'd be a sweet story on tonight's game against Stanford. It's just It's been puzzling this year, and I, I feel like it's officially a concern. And, may, and maybe we discuss this in our next segment when we bring on our new producer and introduce him to Cougar Nation. But what has happened to the tight end fullback position? Mason Wake has been non-existent this year. We've hardly seen Isaac Rex. Houston doesn't play. Like, Do we need to be concerned about this position going forward? Because this has been a staple of BYU football for so long. I I, I think this, this spot, uh, the tight end spot, I think that BYU will be okay. I think they got some good players in the pipeline. But the fullback spot, you know, I, I thought that Mason Wake was going to be more of a factor too. That, that's kind of an underrated thing here that he was being turned in more to a traditional tight end, and that just, quite frankly, hasn't worked for BYU at all this season. we got to take a timeout. As Matt teased, we're going to introduce our new producer to the show. Who's that? Who is that man? Who is that Who is that person? We'll introduce our new producer in coming up next here on Cooper Sports Saturday. It's powered by KSLSports.com. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Every Saturday, all year long. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar Fans. For Cougar Fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Da, 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 
Did you see the Michigan? Michigan's going to win the game, Mitch. Sorry to cut you off. Holy smokes. Did you see that play? I did see that play, and you know what? I, 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 I'm I, just worried that now we're going to see TCU left out. No, of the no. college football playoff. You think? One what? loss, Ohio State? You're leaving that brand out over no. TCU? I'm saying that the Pac-12 is not getting in, and yeah. I'm saying that Clemson's not getting in. It's just going to be the top four that we have now. It's going to so be – the opening Clemson. round will be Georgia, Ohio State, and then TCU, Michigan. That's not what bad. about USC? Oh, they're they're out. They're out. They got Notre Dame tonight. If they win that game, they lost to you Utah. They, might jump. they lost to you Utah. They Utah TCU? is a fine football team, but they're not Michigan. They're not Ohio State. Both no, of those no. teams will have one loss, and whose one loss is better? Ohio uh, State's Michigan. loss will be better. Or oh, yeah, Ohio State's. Yeah. Be so sorry, USC is not getting in, and. I don't want to see USC in there anyways because they're second best players out for the year. Yeah, that's fair. All I, right. I just I, I kind of am getting worried for TCU a little bit. I don't know why. I know they got to take care of business. If they lose, they're done though. Yeah. Which is which is a bummer for the Big Twelve because it, TCU has a great schedule. They've played a great schedule, but if they have any slip ups, they're not getting in. You brought up Clemson. They are down right now, thirty-one to thirty, over against South Carolina. Two oh three left in the fourth. So we are seeing some crazy upsets. Uh, Auburn and Alabama is about to kick off. We'll see that one in action. An interesting game. You met, you bring up the Pac-12. Oregon and Oregon State uh, will be kicking off here shortly. And Oregon State's a favorite in that one, slight favorite, and that's notable because. Keep this in mind. I know this is Cougar Sports Saturday, but I'm, I'm kind of curious about just the college football landscape here. When we talk about USC, they still might play Utah in the Pac-12 championship game because UCLA beat Cal yesterday. Oregon State, if they beat Oregon, that's another piece to this potential tiebreaker for Utah. And then the third piece would be Washington beats Washington State. If all three of those outcomes happen, Utah Goes to the Pac-12 championship. Utah needs to beat Colorado today, but uh, talk about backing your way in to a championship game. But, hey, I will say I like that because it adds more intrigue to a conference race when you have divisionless championships, and that would be the case in the Pac-12 with no Pac-12 North and Pac-12 South. So something to keep an eye on there uh, in college football. We'll continue to monitor all the action around college football, BYU and Stanford. They kick off tonight at 9 p.m. You can listen to the game right here on KSL News Radio. I will be inside Stanford Stadium. First time, my first visit uh, on the farm. It's the it's the, the last stadium in the Pac-12 that I have not been to. So I'm this, and I can check off the entire Conference of Champions and say I've been to every stadium in the Pac-12. So looking forward to checking that off. Coming up tonight, television broadcast will be on FS1. But, Matt, should we, uh, should we bring out to uh, introduce our newest addition to the Cougar Sports Saturday team? Absolutely. So uh, a few weeks ago, Dallin Graff, who is a longtime producer of uh, Cougar Sports Saturday, he moved over to our sister station, uh, KSL uh, The Zone. And now uh, we need to bring someone in. And uh, we brought in a – Hold a, on. Hold on, Matt. Okay. Hold on, Matt. All right. Sorry. We need to lay out what this coaching search or this this producer search was like, okay? There was a lot of rumors. There was a lot of speculation. 
Some people were saying there was offers dealt, there was offers extended. No. I can say confidently, we only offered one person and one person only, and this person is now going to be introduced. So I just wanted to put that to rest, yes. Matt, because the, the, the grapevine, the rumor mill, the, <laughs> the producer carousel, it was hot and heavy. But we got our guy, and I think we're going we're gonna to go into a next era, and there's, a new, there's an alignment, there's an excitement, and we're, uh, we're ready for this uh, individual to be joining our team. This individual has a name. And his name is Nate Slack. And me and Nate, uh, we have a common thread. We both uh, got our starts under the tutelage of Greg Rubel. So, Nate, welcome to Cougar Sports Saturday. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Nate, how long have you been a BYU fan? Oh, man. I had season tickets for the first time when I was two years old. And since then, two I've been, years to, old? been to 173 BYU football games in person. Um, yeah, oh. man, lifelong. Holy smokes. That is a lot of football games, Nate. Yeah, it's it's a ton. My wife is super patient, so that helps a lot. But, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it runs deep, man. Nate is a new Nate, father. Oh, go ahead, Mitch. Sorry. Nate, the thing I like about your addition to Cougar Sports Saturday is that you what you just showed right there. You know the total of games that you have been to, 173. That sort of thing slaps well on Cougar Sports Saturday. Nate is a diehard Cougar fan. You can follow him on Twitter, NateSlack5, on uh, on the Twitter account if Twitter continues to stay upright, which I think it will, but uh, I digress. Uh, Nate, uh, tell us, uh, I'm curious too, um, in that 173 games, uh, what's the winning percentage? Uh, so are you the bad luck guy? Are you a good luck guy? What's what's the winning clip for games you've been to? Do you know that number? <laughs> I don't know that one. I think it's pretty okay. – I, I think it's about 500, honestly. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's because that's, that's of fair. all the road games. The road games – we so me and my dad, we traveled to one or two a, a year, and there was a span where we lost about 13 straight. Um, it started after the Tulane game in 2009. And that was awesome. And then we could not go to a road game where we won the game. So oh, wow. um, I, I take a lot of responsibility for that. We did break that in 2018. We went down to the Arizona game in Tucson. Hey. Uh, and I snapped was, uh, that. Uh, were we all there? Mitch, or you were there, right? I was. That was one I was not at, actually. What? Mitch. Yeah, I know. That was a great Tanner Mangum game, right? That was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yep. Wow, that is uh, that's great, and I think that's one of the reasons we loved having you on as the new producer, Nate. Well, well, I got to bring up the Greg Rubel thing. So, me and Nate both were Greg Rubel interns. You were an intern with Greg three years ago. Is that right? Has it been that long? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was 2019 season, so 2019 to 2020. Tell us your favorite memory of being a Greg Rubel intern. Oh man, um, ah, oh, jeez. To put you on the it's, spot. No, yeah. Uh, honestly, one of the first things was walking into his office. He's got his office at BYU, the, the broadcast building, right? And in his office, he's got all these cool helmets signed and, and posters signed by Mitch Matthews. And he's got all these conference championship rings from basketball dating back to the time where he started taking over the play calling. Um, but it, it was just kind of getting to know Greg, uh, seeing some of the cool stuff he's got, um, knowing exactly how you know the work that he puts into what he does um it's it's easy to appreciate what he does um because his calls are great obviously but seeing uh how much time he puts into getting the pregame show ready and and how particular he is about making sure audio's 
you know, perfect and everything like that. Um, it just helped me appreciate better what he does. Yeah, we're blessed to have Greg Grubel as the play-by-play for BYU. He's does such a great job, and man, if you can uh, if you can hack it under Greg Rubel, you can uh, you you can make it work here. So we're excited to have you, Mitch. What are the questions you have for new new producer Nate? Well, let me add this too, Nate. Uh, you will be getting paid. Uh, that's the discipline <laughs> is different than uh, with Greg's. Uh, Hey, look, hey, look. There's, there's still value to the unpaid internships. I get it, but uh, let me let it be known. You will be getting paid here at KSL. Uh, but uh, you know, you tell us a little bit more about yourself, Nate. You're yeah. a BYU grad, correct? Yeah, BYU grad. So after interning with Gregor Bell, um, I was with Athletic Communications at BYU for about a year and a half. Um, had some opportunities to stick with them. Uh, timing and, and every, you know, a number of things didn't work out. So I dabbled in Arizona for a little bit. Um, and then came back to Utah. My uh, found out my wife was pregnant in this uh, earlier this year, so we moved back. And then the baby was born about three weeks ago. And so uh, boy, little, right? Boy, what, and the name? Name is Taysom. So little Taysom joined our family about three weeks ago. Nope. Tell, you, tell you guys, it runs deep. It runs deep. <laughs> How so, did you get your wife on board passion. with the name Taysom? Oh man, see that that was actually pretty easy. Um, what what I had to do was lay out the fact that you know Taysom Taysom's not my favorite BYU player. Um, it's probably Luke Staley, and you got Jimmer up there, obviously. But Luke and Jimmer, the, the names didn't, you know, didn't hit super well. Um, and when she I brought wasn't it feeling Taysom, Luke, Luke is she, easy. She was not feeling Luke, but she was definitely feeling Taysom. So we actually even considered having Taysom be the girl name uh, if it was a girl. And so That'd be interesting, it, yeah. But yeah, it worked out great. So she was super accepting, and she's already had she has our girl name picked out so whenever we have a girl um she's got that one is it set. a boU connection it is not okay not a BYU that's fair connection. you get Taysom, you let her have the next one yeah right? gotta be patient yeah <laughs> well I just know Nate that uh, we're excited to have you on the Cougar Sports Saturday team I think you're gonna do great things and only build off of what uh, Dallin uh, did for the show we think you're gonna do an awesome job and and in this part of the show we always had you know Dallin, come onto the program, and you know, want to have you involved here with the show as well. So I'm curious, you know, with this being your first first show, your maiden voyage with us, maybe your thoughts on this BYU football team in 2022? Because as you, as he laid as you laid out to Cougar Nation, you know, you are well versed in this BYU football program. This runs deep for you. So maybe your feelings of the highs, the lows, and just where this thing is right now for BYU football, what needs to happen moving forward? Yeah, I think I agree with you, what you guys were talking about earlier. Um, it's It's been rough. I mean, obviously the, the Baylor game was a lot of fun. Uh, the high of highs, right? Beating a top 10 team on, at home after what they did to us last year. And then uh, just how things seem to unravel since then and haven't really been able to gain traction since. I I think back to the 2017 season and how disappointing that was and um, this is probably a conversation for another day, but I, I think this season's been more disappointing just because of the returning production, returning coaching staff. Um, every, I mean, everything that we had last year on a 10-3 and three team with the exception of Tyler Algier came back this year, and things have just not clicked. So it's been, it's been frustrating. Um, obviously, it's, it's still, you know, BYU football, and it's still fun, and, and going through the highs of winning at Boise State and stuff like that, but the lows of getting blown out at home to Arkansas, the lows of not even competing with Liberty who got blown out today by <laughs> New Mexico State. Uh, 
yeah, I, I just I can't help but think it's a more disappointing season than 2017. Let me follow. Let me follow up with this, Nate, because you have a good pulse of BYU fans, and that, that's that's one of the things that I think Matt and I really were excited about bringing you on to this show. Is that you know we want this show to be a hub of when Cougar fans tune in. It's it's an extension of them, you know, because far too often I think in media spaces we sometimes people crack on the mic and they think they're better than their listeners or whatever. It just it sometimes it comes with the job, but we want this to feel like this is Cougar Nation embodied, and you have a good sense of of Cougar fans. You you are one. You love BYU sports. Uh, you know, does has this season for you, Nate? Has it changed? the excitement level you have maybe for the big 12, because that is something I feel like Cougar fans are last year after that win over Utah, it was like, yes, the big 12, even the Baylor win. It was like, yes, we are going into the big 12 and it's going to be this, this amazing thing. And now it's kind of like, Oh man, is this going to be three win seasons, two win seasons? Where are you at with now the, the future early prospects of the big 12? I don't think it's really tempered my my excitement for it, but yeah. my expectations have certainly adjusted. I think, you know, getting bowl eligible next year is probably going to be the going to be the goal. I think heading into this year, the goal is probably winning ten games. Uh, but next year, it's going to be tough because you can't even wait a minute. You say next year win ten games? No, no, no. I the goal this year was to win ten okay, games. Okay, okay. I thought year, you were saying I'm like no whoa, bowl Nate. eligibility. <laughs> Full eligibility, because even you you would bank on teams like Kansas not performing very well and, and tacking that up as a win, and we just don't have that on the schedule next year. We have the you know the Sam Houston who could be tough as well. They won the FCS championship a couple of years ago, um, but it, I think expectations are going to have to shift. Uh, it'll be it'll be a learning curve for sure, but I think it's still exciting just being being able to have something to play for late in November. You guys were kind of touching on that as well. You know, what things should BYU fans be looking forward to about the game tonight, knowing that even if they lose the game, they're probably going to be going to the same bowl game. So just having something late in the season to look forward to, having new opponents come to Provo, which, you know, it's not easy to do in the past. Um, But, yeah, just looking forward to playing Oklahoma State and Baylor and, and Texas and Oklahoma the next couple of years. Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Just got to kind of temper your expectations and aim for bowl eligibility. Well, there you go. Tell Our me, new producer. Tell me, Nate. Hold on, one more thing. Okay, all right. Let, let's get it. You brought up your you and your dad go on a lot of BYU football road trips. What's the road trip in the Big 12 that you and your dad are circling? Because I think this is an interesting question because let's call it what it is, guys. We love the Big 12. We're excited for it. But – these spots are not very glamorous. Like, I'm in Palo Alto right now. I'm going to say, uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say Stillwater isn't as nice as Palo Alto. So I'm curious, what's the, the, the trip that you and your dad are circling and saying, hey, we can't wait till we go to this game? You know, I I really want to go to Texas this year. I know people want Texas to come to Texas? Provo again. Nate, I was you've on already my mission. Been to Texas. I was on my mission. Oh, I was never gone. Been? No, I haven't been. So 2011, uh, I was I was 16. It wasn't going to happen. Um, and then 2014, that return game, I was on my mission, so I was gone. I got to see a little bit. Uh, don't tell my mission president, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think I think Texas might go to Oklahoma State would be fun, but kind of like you mentioned, Stillwater is not a very attractive location. And then I have no desire to go back to Oklahoma after our uh, our plane snafu 
flying to uh, the USF game this year where they dropped us off in Oklahoma and told in us Norman? best of luck. They, no, they dropped us off in Tulsa. Oh, boy. So, Jeez. Yeah, so probably not Are Oklahoma Are you flying budget, though, Allegiant? Sure, we're. Okay, well, there's your problem. So <laughs> you can't. Come on. Come on, Nate. We're gonna, we gotta we gotta step that up here in the uh we're, everything's being leveled up. The show, the Big Twelve, and your travel accommodations on the road going forward as well. All right, there's Nate Slack. Uh he'll be a mainstay here on Cougar Sports Saturday going forward. Nate, glad to have you on. Uh next week we'll resume the top five. Yeah. Right? Top five next week. It's supposed to be this week. Uh ran into a few obstacles, but next week for sure. Next week. Top five is back. Hosted by Nate Slack. The new era. Looking forward to it. We'll take the break here on the other side. We'll get back to some BYU football, get you ready for the final game of the 2022 football season. Back after this. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday and Michigan. Dun, 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 dun. They blow out Ohio State, Mitch. Michigan uh, just poured it on in the fourth quarter. My goodness. That was an impressive victory by Jim Harbaugh's team. And you know what I love about this, too, is Michigan, the university, and I think a lot of the fans, I don't know if they loved Jim Harbaugh. And, but they keep him around, they rework his contract, they're patient. And now they've won two in a row against Ohio State. And look, patience is not. A popular word in college sports right now, but sometimes it really pays off. It really does. And last year he took a, a pay cut to stay as the head coach, and that patience has worked out. And now Michigan has two years in a row of victories over their rival. And, you know, I, I will say, Matt, I, I sometimes miss those, those days of those years, rather, of a season culminating with BYU in Utah because even with a 6 and 5 BYU against a 3 and 8 Utah I'm saying that record because that's Stanford's mark it would still have juice yep. you know it would still have some sort of energy that's uh that's just energizing the BYU and Utah fan bases and look I, I know that was the whack in the Mountain West it's a different dynamic now because we got a little taste of it in that 2018 season when uh, the season concluded with Utah, and there wasn't much energy leading up to that game. But uh, that is something that has lacked, and it probably will still lack going into the Big 12 Conference. Like the Big 12 era, you'll probably cap off a season with, you know, maybe Iowa State, maybe TCU. I don't know. Who, somewhat, I'll, I'm tossing it out there. We'll probably find out the schedule next week. That's the expectation, which I cannot wait to get my hands on that thing and see that thing up and down. But, uh, you know, sometimes I do romanticize a little bit of those those years of, of BYU and Utah capping it off. And even if there was no championship or playoff or whatever it was at stake, it was just always fun to have BYU and Utah cap off a season. And uh, I, I will say I sometimes grow nostalgic uh, when it gets to this week and I see a Michigan-Ohio State played. And uh, I think back to those those times when BYU and Utah squared off in cold weather and, and locked it up and, and just those memories that those games provided. And I don't know. I sometimes grow nostalgic on this week and sometimes miss it at times. Let me throw this your way, Mitch. Um, with BYU becoming a power team, and it, well, look, we've had many discussions about this before, but I'm curious where you, you sit now. Because there's, there's games on this week that are out of conference. Clemson – 
South Carolina is an example of that. Do you think you'd be interested in BYU and Utah, even if they remain in different power conferences, playing that game this week every year? That's a great question. If, If it was guaranteed where Utah was willing to do that, and BYU, I think, would probably do it, I think, yeah, I would be down for that. If it was a permanent fixture, yet you know every year it's ending with BYU-Utah, I would sign up for that. If if it's a permanent fixture in week two or week three, no, I'm not signing up for that because yeah. I'm not interested. I yeah. want I want the novelty, and I want, I want to see BYU play, you know, Miami or, you know, whoever they got in their future non-conference schedules now. I want those games. Uh, but if it's the last game of the season, I can get on board with that. I'm down with that. I... What about you? Would yeah. you be open to that? So I'm t- I'm 100% with you. If it's in September, I don't want to play it every year. But if it is the last game of the year and you have that, you know, final bragging rights rivalry at the end of the year, I could be talked into it. Yeah. I think that would be fun, but definitely not interested in week 2, week 1, week 3 every year. Like it's got to have meaning at the end of the year or we're not playing the game every year. That's how I feel. New News, traffic, and weather coming up next. And then we will get to an interview I had earlier in the week with BYU quarterback Jaron Hall on Unrivaled. You hear that conversation coming up next. Cougar Sports Saturday live from Palo Alto, California on KSL News Radio. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. Got it for three. Cougars by 20. By Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Hour number three is off and running. Live here from Palo Alto, California for BYU and Stanford. KSL News Time is... 2.05 p.m. and tonight at kickoff, 9 p.m. tonight. Set your dials accordingly. Pre-game gets started at 7 o'clock. You'll see BYU quarterback Jaron Hall in action. And Jaron is potentially nearing the end of his BYU career. He could come back next season. But, uh, you know, it's, it's up in the air. He hasn't formally made a decision. He did say, though, last week after senior day, that he will be playing in BYU's bowl game, regardless of the situation uh, BYU uh, ends up in. So we will get at least two more games of Jaron Hall, hopefully, as long as he stays healthy uh, for for BYU. And Jaron's had a a heck of a season for the Cougars this year. He's passed for over 3,000 yards, and he's faced some adversity along the way, too. And one of the guys that he's been focusing a lot of his – NFL film study on is Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson and both Dak have, have faced some adversity in their times. And I asked them, asked Jaron during an interview on KSL Sports Zone's Unrivaled, what's the biggest adversity he's faced during his BYU career? I mean, definitely during that losing streak, um, just for multiple reasons, you know, had some poor health for a couple of weeks, and that's never an excuse, man. I, I for sure, you know, Notre Dame, I could have played so much better. Um, you know, in the weeks following after that, you know, coming through a shoulder injury, trying to figure myself out with some practice reps I, I missed out on was tough. Um, just on the mental, you know, feeling like I, I let everybody down, not being able to play my best the way I had, you know, the, the five weeks previous. Um, and then a couple games after that, you know, it took a little bit to kind of find myself. 
Um, but on top of that, you know, it's a team game for sure. And I know we all want a lot of things back as a team, but just, just going through the emotions of those four weeks, um, you know, knowing we were such a good team with so many talented players, we had such a great opportunity. I um, still do, obviously, but we had a great opportunity in the middle of that schedule to play so many good teams that BYU never has before. You know, one of the hardest schedules BYU ever play. Um, and so we had such a great opportunity to do some good things and, and just, you know, to kind of to come up short. You know, we've been looking forward to that for so long, um, knowing how much work we'd all put in. You know, it wasn't a matter of work or work ethic, but just just didn't handle the adversity very well. And so just the four weeks of all that was, it was tough, man. It really was for all the guys. And it's hard enough, you know, on yourself personally, but then you see everybody else going through it too. And I'm a guy, I like to, you know, you know, feel some compassion for my brothers. And, I, and when I see them hurting, it hurts me. So that was tough. What about on the flip side? Like when was the time? Would you, would you look at, because I think about you guys starting off the season and and, and uh, I think it was four and one and you guys were kind of riding pretty high. And especially that Baylor game, you think about High of highs, you know, and in, in the the atmosphere that uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium was, of course, for that. Is it that, or is it the ability to be able to come back after a four game losing streak that kind of interests you more? That you go, that's more satisfying to have this happen. A hundred percent. Well, I was actually talking to me and Harris Lachance. We're talking about a little bit today between meetings. Um, you know, we're just looking at our um, looking at what we did on Saturday in, in, in unit meeting, talking about what we did and what the great opportunity is ahead of us. You know, to go into Stanford, we've never beat. Um, and, you know, the effects that will have on the bowl game, you know, because we got two games left, you know, so it's okay to start talking about the importance of this this game for our bowl game. So we talked about it a little bit, and then we talked about, you know, the difference of, you know, being six and six versus seven to five, how that looks, you know, um, seven and seven and six versus eight or eight and five, I guess. Is my math right? I don't know if my math's right. Yeah. There. Anyways, you know what I'm saying. So just how, you know, in the in the C, you know, if you if you were to just look at that that win and loss column, you know, seven to five, eight and five, Without any context of the season, you'd be like, "Oh, that's a pretty that's a pretty good year," you know, considering who you played. But then you look at what happened and how it took place. Um, you know, the way that we were to bounce back and get you know four or five in a row. I think that's the perspective that, that we're going to take. You know, is, is how much better that'll feel looking back and knowing the adversity we went through to be able to come out from that, not not allow that to to you know force us to just roll over and give in for the season, but really battle back and find ourselves. That's the perspective that that we need to have, and and I think that'll feel so much better. You know, to look at that, then then it then it did hurt. You know, going through those four weeks of, of adversity, if that makes sense. Listen, these interviews are easy compared to what Zach Wilson's got to go through and what you're going to end up having to go through in the NFL. It's been a rough 24 hours for Zach. I mean, in New York, it's a thousand times, uh, you know, amplified even from anything in uh, in the NFL. When you see like the the amount of critique that comes with being a pro. And having a good week, bad week, good week, bad week, whatever it is, I mean, that's a winning team that uh, is getting as much fire and flame as any. Do you learn stuff from that and you go, okay, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to try to handle myself when I'm a pro is in this way or in that way? I just learned you got to keep your circle really tight. Like, you know, from Zach's perspective, being in New York and that media market, man, I can't, I can't imagine what he's going through. And so I know he's got a lot of close people in his life, and I'm sure those are the only people he allows in, you know, and I think that's that's probably the way you got to approach everything because, you know, sad as it is, you know, people want to see you fail. They want something to write about, you know, they want something easy to get a paycheck for themselves, which I get it, you know, that's that's their grind. That's how they pay for, you know, buy their groceries and whatnot is to write, you know, stories about you. But, um, yeah, it's just tough. You, you know, I think you just really got to be careful who you associate with, situations you're in, and, and you know, I don't know. 
it's it's a tough deal, man. It's, it's not easy to be a professional athlete, I'm sure. And, and hopefully I'll have the opportunity to, to understand what that's like here, here uh, in, the, in the near future. But um, yeah, you just got to you got to take care of what you need to on the field. And I guess just be smart what you do off the field. Pro football will be down the road, but this week you guys have got Stanford, and Stanford's always been a program, Jaron, that uh, has been you know a big recruiting threat to BYU over the years. I'm, I'm curious, did they ever reach out to you? Did you ever have communications at all with with Stanford? No, I don't think so. I don't think I did. No. What no, do you think? Oh, I can recall. What do you think of Stanford defensively? I mean, they've had games where. They've kept Notre Dame in check, a team that uh, yeah. you guys had a setback to, but they've also had some some tough stretches as of late. What do you make of, of Stanford to close out this regular season? I just think they're a tale of a team that just hasn't, hasn't you know, unfortunately hasn't been able to, like, to bring it all together, you know, for every game. You look at that roster, man, they got some athletes. They got some, you know, their defense especially. You know, I don't know a ton about their offense. I know, I know uh, about the Tanner, their quarterback Tanner McKee is a stud. Um, you know, their defense has a lot of veteran guys. Their back end, their secondary, I think is all fifth-year guys. Um, uh, same with their linebacking core. You know, uh, um, uh, DeMuni, their, their linebacker. I mean, there's a lot of guys there who are stud athletes. They play hard. They know what they're doing, and they're really intelligent dudes. You know, obviously, you know, to be a Stanford, you got to be a sharp guy. But then to put down the football field, that that um, poses a, a pretty good uh, conflict for offenses, you know, when you have a smart defense across from you. So, why they haven't put it together, you know, no one knows. But that's a team that if you don't show up, you know, they'll get after you just like they did with Notre Dame at Notre Dame a couple weeks ago. And then, you know, the next week um, when they beat uh, – who they beat the next week? Arizona State. Arizona State, that's right, yep. So, you know, the next week was Arizona State. And so just watching the film, you know, I've been able to break down the first couple of games already, um, do some more tonight. But they're long, they're athletic, they play super hard. That's a good team. So like USC last year, you know, where they're not didn't have a great season, but – they got dudes, and so if they if they decide to put it together for a night, I mean they can make some things happen. So you got to be ready to go, and it's not a game that you roll over just because of their record, because they're not going to roll over. What's this week look like for you guys? Because uh, you know everybody goes, "Hey, you got Thanksgiving to jam in there." But there's no such thing. I feel like this is just a work week for you guys, and it goes 100. percent You guys have to do your normal travel stuff, uh, and and you get there and you got to take care of business, and then probably after the season catch up on the turkey. Exactly. Yeah. You know, business first, you know, so they're, they're giving us our schedule early, knowing what the, what the practice week looks like. So we can start planning, you know, have some time off Thursday. We'll have earlier practices earlier than normal. So guys can, can head on and go see family and, and have a Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but everything else is the same, you know, today through Wednesday practice meetings is all the same Thursday, be a little different Friday, Saturday, go play. So, um, you know, we're laser focused. We know we have to do, we, I mean, last year, the USC game was a huge game for us and we handled that week. Um, you know, better than they did in our preparation, it felt like. And so we got to ha- handle it better than Stanford does this week, you know, with all the distractions. But mm-hmm. we got a plan set out. You know, we know what to expect to practice. And, and I think guys are well aware that they need to, um, you know, manage their time well and, and, you know, get in all the film and all the prep that they need. If families got to vote, your wife and daughter would be on a plane to Hawaii on the 23rd of, uh, of December, right? Like, I mean, we're talking about bowl game-wise <laughs> – there's only one destination the families want. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, and I honestly, I don't even look at the projected bull list. Is Hawaii one of them? Yeah, oh, yeah. Hawaii's an option. Uh, maybe Mobile, Alabama. Stop it. Uh, Boise for Myrtle the potato Beach, bowl. The teal field in Myrtle Beach. Oh, yeah. There's also uh, the New Mexico Bowl yeah. in uh, Old Albuquerque. So there's a lot of options on the list. Uh, you know, 
whatever it is, you're going to have an excited BYU team to be there. Make no mistake about okay. it. We'll, we'll make the time out of it. All right. We'll uh, figure that out next week, uh, of course. All right, Jaron, we appreciate it. Another week in the books. Thanks for hanging out with us every week. And uh, and we'll chat with you again. Good luck. Stay healthy as usual, man. Thanks, Jaron. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. That was Jaron Hall on the KSL Sports Zone Unrivaled. I filled in for Scott Mitchell and uh, had the chance to co-host with Alex Keery and interview Jaron. So we thought we'd share that conversation today on Cougar Sports Saturday. Yeah, great conversation. Jaron Hall is such a likable guy. I just, I've just i loved those conversations throughout the season. And if he goes, I think uh, I think it'll be a big loss. Jaron Hall is ultra-talented. The year he's having this year, yeah, it, it, do I dare say it's going under the radar a little bit? Like, this dude is putting up great numbers, and it's just a bummer that the team hasn't been as good as he's been this year, but he, he's been exceptional this season. Yeah, and, and what Jaron said at the end there about the bowl game, it seems like the team doesn't, again, BYU doesn't know yet where they're going as far as a bowl. That's going to be decided next Sunday. Uh, not this one, but the, the one after is is when BYU will officially find out its bowl destination wherever ESPN slides them. It, it could be the Hawaii Bowl, could be New Mexico, it could be anywhere, so we'll end up seeing next week where BYU goes bowling, but they've got to take care of business tonight against the Stanford Cardinal, a team and a program that BYU has never beat. It's the only school in the Pac-12 that BYU has not beat in football. So that's an opportunity in front of BYU tonight as they take on the Stanford Cardinal at 9 p.m. we got to take a break, though. On the other side, we will get to more of those decisions. What about what, what does Jaron do after this year? Puka Nakua got a recent invite that might share, shed some light in his NFL future along with another BYU football player. We'll hit on that and a whole lot more as we continue to break down BYU versus Stanford live from Palo Alto, California here on KSL News. Welcome back in Cougar Sports Saturday. Matt Biamonte and new producer Nate Slack here in Utah. Temperature's actually not bad here. It's, it's been a, a nice day, but not quite as nice as what Mitch is enjoying out in Palo Alto. Are you wearing shorts right now, Mitch? Yeah, it's a high of 64 degrees oh, today. Oh, beautiful. And it's sunny, beautiful skies, not a cloud in the sky, and you've got the leaves turned to the, the autumn colors. It's oh, it's pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. Like, I... You know, I've heard the stories about San Francisco being, um, you know, it's kind of taken a note to die for the worst. I think there's it has issues. They're not. It, it's fact, Mitch. It's not story. Yeah, I, I, I drove around there and was like, eh, it you went downtown, work. San Francisco. I yes, it uh, did not. It, it, it early this morning, I went up to, to San Francisco and I was not impressed uh, to say the least. So I came back uh, to here to Palo Alto and. It's a lot nicer. It's it's opinion. it's like nice. it's the difference between light and dark. Palo Alto and San Francisco, <laughs> they are two different places. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to go see the uh, the Chase Center uh, where the Warriors play, and I wanted to see all that. And it's cool. So you know, because I'm that. I mean, I think all of us on this show we can appreciate. Uh, you know, going to just an, an arena or yes. a stadium, yes. even if there's no one playing, just just seeing it, saying like. I was there. I saw it. I, I just put it in it's the, funny you the say memory that. bank. 
in the in the height of the pandemic, I visited my in-laws for Memorial Day in 2020, and I'm like, we got to get to the Chase Center. They were like, why? It's just a basketball arena. They're not even playing. There's, and I'm like, we got to go. Who's coming with me? And I truck a bunch of pizza. So I know exactly what you're talking about. You just Yeah, where other people are so confused and going, there, there's – there's no one in there. Like, why do you want to see <laughs> exactly. that? I remember years ago seeing the Rose Bowl with my wife, and she's like, what? Like, what is this? It's There's a gate. We can't get through. I'm like, what's well, the Rose Bowl, though? Like, that's that's the Rose Bowl. Come on. Like, isn't that cool? She's like, well, okay. Is, is there a game today? I'm like, no, but it's the Rose, Rose Bowl. Bowl. There's a lot of history in that thing. That's great. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Oh, man, good stuff. Well, you'll be uh, checking off your final Pac-12 spot tonight, BYU and Stanford. And I think it has the makings of an interesting game. I wish there was more on the line and that it meant more for what will happen to BYU. That's not the case, but there's so many interesting storylines. And I think one of them is who will we be watching for possibly the final time? Now, the bowl game is still there, so so maybe it's not quite the final time. But this is the last game that we're going to see a lot of players play a name brand because I just don't believe BYU is going to have a a great bowl opponent. Uh, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think it's going to be a group of five teams. So this is a power team, Stanford. They're not very good, but they're out of the Pac-12. And, you know, will this be the last time we see Jaron Hall – Puka Nakua, Blake Freeland. You know, there's those 13 seniors we know who are moving on, but there's other guys who have a decision to make. Where are we at with uh, some of those big names, Mitch? The latest is that Puka Nakua has accepted an invite to play in the Senior Bowl, which typically would indicate that a player is, is set to move on. Now, what makes this interesting is that it's basically like a verbal commitment for a recruit where they're committing to playing in this game, but they can always back out. And the only thought to potentially backing out would be, well, I, I think a couple things. One, if Jaron Hall decided to come back, I think Puka then, you know, kind of considers BYU a lot more uh, closely. And two, what type of NIL money could be at, at play? You know, th- that's just the reality. And I know for some of our listeners, they might cringe hearing that. And because college sports is – you know, typically always been about, you know, amateur and, and things like that. But this is big-time business now, and these guys can make a lot of money. When you're driving on I-15, you see Pukunakua on the Mountain America Credit Union billboard. I mean, it's just – that's what, uh, you know, we, we see with uh, uh, a lot of these things now. He's on billboards and things like that. So I think that that is something that's going to be interesting uh, for, for Puka. I still think, though, he goes. That's just my opinion. He did say after – uh, last week, or before the last week's game against Utah Tech, he said that he would likely have a decision after the Stanford game. So maybe next week we could be getting official word from Puka. Uh, the other guy to keep an eye on is Blake Freeland, offensive tackle, who I think, no matter what, should move on. Because I think Blake Freeland has established himself to be, at worst, a third-round pick. And I think that he's the type of guy that gets into a combine setting or a pro day, and he's going to blow their socks off and go, holy cow, he's 6'8", 310, and he's moving like that, and he's got the hand size and the arm length like that. I mean, he's going to be a freak of nature to where he could sneak into the back half of the first round. So Blake Freeland, he accepted an invite to the Senior Bowl. 
I think of all of them, he absolutely should move on because he is a, I think definitely a top 100 pick. I'd like to see them all move on. Uh, that's yeah. not great for BYU next year, but it is great for BYU to have guys being selected in the NFL draft definitely. and playing on Sundays. You can work with that. It's easier to recruit when you don't have this narrative out there, Mitch, that you don't go to the league. There's no BYU guys there. Well, Jamal is leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. And Fred Warner is the best linebacker in football. Like, BYU is building a good name in the NFL. That benefits BYU. It, it's going to hurt next year because those are some of your best players, but it's still good for BYU. And I want to see those guys get a chance to play because everyone's dream, Mitch, is to play in the league. And if you have a chance to play in the league, I'm all for it. Go do it. Go enjoy the league, and we'll be rooting for you here uh, in Utah. We'll take the break here on the other side. Three and out. We'll get you prepared for BYU and Stanford with some deep cuts, some stats, some players to watch later on tonight. We'll do that next. News, traffic, and weather, and then three and out right here on Cougar Sports Saturday. This is Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. By Cougar fans. For Cougar fans. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Maimonte. On your legacy home of BYU Sports. KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. BYU and Stanford. It's hard to believe, Matt, that these two teams have not played since 2004. You know, BYU and Stanford, they don't have many similarities when it comes to the academic side of things, but and, and maybe the, the views and, and political spaces that they, they hold. But uh, BYU and Stanford locking up for the third time ever tonight at 9 p.m. Here's a fun little tidbit, too. The return visit, Matt, will be in 2031. Oh, so boy. if BYU wants to get... <laughs> a uh, win over the Cardinal, they better do it now because they'll have to wait nine years, which will be the opener in 2031. They originally had a six-game series on the docket, but that got uh, canned because BYU's moved to the Big 12. So if they want to beat Stanford, they better do it now or they're going to have to wait a week (laughs) or or a decade, excuse me. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Hey, let's get the fans Cougar Nation, our loyal listeners here, prepared for BYU and Stanford with a segment we do each and every week during the football season. Three and out. A quick hit look at BYU's next opponent on the gridiron. It's three and out on Cougar Sports Saturday. Three and out is a fun segment we do each and every week throughout football where we're going to give you some players to watch, some interesting stats that could affect the football game, We'll give you some bold predictions that will most likely be incorrect, but we do it anyways because it's fun, and uh, it'll just get you a little more prepared for the football game, which uh, takes place starting tonight at 7 p.m. right here on KSL News Radio. And like any football drive, Mitch, you know where it begins. First down. This is a stat, an interesting stat that could affect the outcome of the game. I'll start things off, Mitch. For me, the number is 36. What does that represent? It's 36 sacks that the Stanford offensive line has allowed this year. Tanner McKee has been sacked a lot. Unfortunately, on the other side of the ball for BYU, they only have 10 sacks 
on the year. So something's got to give here, Mitch. Either BYU is going to be disruptive and get some sacks on Tanner McKee, or they'll continue to struggle pressuring the quarterback, and that might open up the Stanford passing game. But Stanford's offensive line has been uh, prone to give up sacks this year, and hopefully BYU's defense can take advantage. Ten sacks through 11 games for BYU. Ugh, that's just not uh, – They don't not matter, pretty, though, Mitch. we got to remember that, right? I, I know. I know. Here's my number. It stays in the 30s. I'm going to go with an even 30. 30. Stanford hasn't scored 30 points against an FBS team since October 16th, 2021. Oh, yes, my goodness. They had a game this year where they reached 40, but that was against an FCS team. They haven't scored 30-plus against an FBS team since October 16th, 2021. That was, that was in a loss to Washington State. Stanford's offense has been bad. And, you know, it's interesting you bring up a, a, a stat about Stanford's offense against BYU's defense because that is where a lot of the intrigue lies. If BYU's defense makes this Stanford offense look good, it would kind of take away a lot of the, the goodwill that was built in that Boise State win. So 30, Stanford hasn't scored that in 13 months. been a long time. Second down. Here's where we give you some players to keep an eye on tonight. For me, uh, for, the, for, for the BYU side of things, it's Jaron Hall. I just think he has been phenomenal the past couple weeks. Uh, over 450 yards passing against Utah Tech. Makes so many big plays in that Boise State game to get the win on the blue turf. I think uh, for BYU, if they're going to beat Stanford, because Stanford does have a, a, a solid defense, uh, not great, not horrible, they're going to need Jaron Hall to be at his best, and I think he is playing some of his best football of the season right now. So Jaron Hall for me on BYU and for Stanford here is a uh, here's a deep cut, and for those of you who've been listening for a long time, I'm going with the kicker, Mr. Special Teams, Matt Biamonte, Stanford's kicker, Joshua Cardi, has been named the Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week four times this year. He's the only player in Stanford history to win that award four times. So uh, if Stanford is going to win, it's going to be close. Maybe it comes down to a final kick. They do have a good kicker in Joshua Cardi. You're you're pulling from your true form, Matt, because special teams this year has been that conversation hasn't been as uh, out front and center this year because well BYU special teams has not been good, so there hasn't been much to highlight exactly. and celebrate. So I'm glad you pulled from the special teams. Well, here's my guy, Chris Brooks, and you know what? This is something that's interesting. Chris was a Cal Berkeley guy last three or four years in his college career. He's got another crack at Stanford, the old rival for him. So that might be some personal, uh, you know, angles there for Chris Brooks. I think he should play well. He's going to be the starting RB. Uh, He was atop the depth chart this week where in recent weeks he was not due to the hamstring, but he made that return last week against Utah Tech. And then for Stanford, a – Local Utah kid, he's going through his senior night tonight. Stanford will honor 28 seniors this evening, two of which are from the state of Utah, and this guy is Lavani Damuni, one of the top linebackers for the Cardinal. And, yes, he is related to Jack Damuni. And, yes, Jack Damuni can truly say, hashtag, that's my nephew, because literally that is, Lavani is his nephew. Uh, Lavani Damuni is a guy to keep an eye on. Number three, he was someone that BYU recruited quite a bit. I, Bronco Mendenhall's staff recruited him a ton. 
when he when they were at BYU, and he ended up going to Stanford, and it's been a good fit for that for him there. He's he's done a nice job with the Cardinal, and he will be a name to watch at that linebacker spot for Stanford. I liked your pick of Chris Bucks uh, before we get to that critical third down that BYU has been so so this season. Uh, just qu- a quick trivia for you: uh, two questions on Chris Brooks because I love the pick. What game this year, Mitch, has Chris Brooks had the most carries, and who was it against? USF? No, that is incorrect. Really? Notre Dame, 14 carries. That's oh. his season high. Chris Brooks, 14 carries. Interesting. Here's here's a true or false question for you. His season yards per average, is it true or false that it is better than Tyler Algiers last season? False? It is true. He has a better yards wow. per average this year than Algier did last year. 6.38 yards per carries. Isn't that interesting? Yes. That that is very interesting because I think anyone would say Chris Brooks is underwhelmed. But I, right. he hasn't got the, the volume to say he's delivered. He has 88 carries. Algier had over 200 last year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he has not had the volume, and I hope that you're right. I'd love to see him get 20 tonight. Be nice in his final game as a BYU Cougar regular season. Let's get him twenty. Algier carried the ball over twenty times, eight eight times last year. So I like that. Get Chris and Brooks. And I think the also, and I think also too, just to wrap up second down. I think make this game as quick as possible. Don't extend it like it was last week against Utah Tech, where they were airing it out. Make it as quick as possible. Get it over. Get it done with. Get the win and go home and, and celebrate the win. Third down. Third down here is where we give you bold predictions. I have hit a few this year. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, I, I think I had a couple with Jaron Hall, and that's the reason I'm sticking with Jaron Hall for another bold prediction. This offense has really opened up since he started running the football. It's a great skill set that Jaron uh, Hall has, being able to carry the rock. He did that against Boise State. Did that a little bit against Utah Tech. Didn't quite need to. But I think against Stanford, there's going to be opportunities for him to run. I'm going to say he gets a 50-yard or more touchdown run against Stanford tonight. Good pick. Uh, Jaron on the ground has been fun to watch. You know, I think early on in the year it was justified to be very cautious with him running the football because he's so critical to BYU's success. I mean, come on. We, we haven't seen really a backup quarterback play at all. Not that it's been needed. But, you know, in, in stretches where a game's out of reach or BYU's up big, throw it to the back of quarterback. That hasn't been the case. So Jaron's importance to this team has been highlighted. And uh, now that it's near the end of the season and he's, you know, making a case for NFL evaluators, hey, show off that ground game because he is elite in that regard. Here's my bold prediction, Matt. I'm going to have some fun with this one. <laughs> because it is Stanford and this program just has no – no one showing up to the games. It's it's unreal how bad the attendance is. Keep in mind, last month, they offered a free trial, a free trial to sign up for tickets for next year, season tickets, and you would get a pair of free tickets to the BYU game and the Washington State game, the final two home games. And you could get free tickets and then just cancel the season tickets for 2023 before like January 15th, I can't remember the date, but it was like a, a, a no-risk free trial to get free tickets. With that said, that's how bad it is at Stanford. I'm going to go bold and say under 10,000 fans in attendance tonight. Oh Last year goodness. at USC, 
it was a late night game, and there was probably 20,000 at best, and most of it was royal blue. I'm expecting a sea of royal blue. That and, and look, this BYU fan base is probably a little bit apathetic, too, at times with this football team right now. I get it. Uh, but there will still be a good number of Cougar fans. But I'm saying under 10,000 fans in attendance tonight at Stanford. Is that bold enough? That's pretty bold. Is this going to be? Is this going to be one of those social media posts where there's no one in the stands as the game is kicking off? <laughs> I think so. I, that might be one of the more interesting storylines tonight, just to see uh, an empty stadium. Like, is that not true to form media member on social media? Here's yes. the pregame. I expect uh, that from you. Shot. Kick off <laughs> two thousand fans. <laughs> oh, the crowd shots will be a plenty. I'm I'm guessing. BYU fans overtake this thing because, look, even David Shaw said he's ticked with this late-night kickoff, and the people I've talked to here in the in, in this part of the country, not a soul knows that this is a uh, game day for Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> the people I've talked to are BYU fans. They know because they're going to the game. Anyone else that's not affiliated with BYU, they have no idea that the Cardinal are playing tonight, so... I'm expecting a low attendance number, and it's going to be a pro-BYU crowd. Less than 10,000. That's my bold prediction. Not that this matters, but if there's anyone listening to this in California, go to this football game. Because who knows yes. the next time that BYU is going to be on the West Coast. Like this is, this is an opportunity. BYU has lived on the West Coast in the independent era. They've played a lot of football games on the West Coast. Every year, I feel like they've made trips to California. That's that's going by the wayside, and there's a great a great fan base of BYU fans in the state of California. They have always showed up, whether it be the Rose Bowl, the Coliseum, uh, up at Berkeley for Cal, uh, Wazoo, Oregon, Oregon State. I mean, BYU fans have traveled well. Well, get to this football game, even though it's it does lack some intrigue. Enjoy it for the final time and take a coat. That's one one thing you do need to. Well, not you, Mitch, because you'll be in the press box. But fans, it does get chilly in the Bay Area at night. I I've made I don't know a dozen trips to the Bay, and every time I go, I'm like I'm going to California. T-shirts, shorts, and then the night comes, and you're like, my goodness, I need a down jacket coat to stay warm in this weather. So get to the game, stay warm. Because who knows when it, uh, the next time is going to be that BU plays in California and especially the Bay. Could be a long time before they go back to the Bay Area. And I would be stunned if anyone outside of the family members of the senior class are in attendance tonight representing Stanford oh, in this crowd. Man. I will be stunned because, look, I just think the the pulse of that fan base right now, it just seems like they lost, their season ended last week in the loss to Cal. And they're now wondering what's happening next with David Shaw. And you could just come in and take over this building like it's a WCC basketball gym. Like, that's <laughs> that's kind of what I'm expecting, honestly. I would be stunned if there's any sort of showing from Stanford fans. If they do, great, because I want to see a, a lively atmosphere, but I'm not expecting it by any stretch. Yeah, that's a good point. It'll, it, it's going to be interesting to see who shows up. We'll take the break. On the other side, our final thoughts on BOU and Stanford, plus our score predictions. We'll do that next here. Final segment of Cougar Sports Saturday after this. Welcome back in the Cougar Sports Saturday. It's been a fun show today. Loved hearing from... Uh, 
passing game coordinator Fessy Satake. Jaron Hall, your conversation on uh, uh, KSL Sports Zone unrivaled with Alex Curie. That was great stuff as well. And and I can't believe we're to the point of the, this show always seems to fly by, but it's, it's score predictions time. It's uh, for the final game of 2022. This season has flown by, and yet it's felt like it's dragged on at the same time. I, I don't know how yeah. that is. But uh, it's it's almost over, and it is always kind of sad this time of year. Uh, it's like no more Saturday mornings with the pregame shows, no more anticipating the games. It, it's always a little uh, bittersweet this time of year. But the good news is next fall, BYU will be a member of the Big 12, and that is pretty exciting, and I cannot wait for that. And next week we'll have potentially that Big 12 schedule, barring any sort of delay, uh, it's expected that that's going to be out next week, potentially December 1st. That's what Tom Homo said. So we will have a lot to unpack next week on the show. So there's always stuff every single week here on Cougar Sports Saturday. We're talking BYU football throughout the year. But, yeah, it is always sad when, when the regular season winds down and and uh, because you wait so long for college football to return, and then it's gone in the blink of an eye. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, Mitch. Uh... Let's get to those score predictions. BYU and Stanford. Stanford, not a good football team. Do you have the Cardinals springing an upset? I do not. I have BYU winning this game, and I think that this is going to be a game where BYU is you know, comfortably in front. I think that BYU will, will get a two-possession lead and, and control the football game, and it won't be one that feels that it's in doubt. I, I think BYU will take care of business in this one, and that might be a, a little bit of a against-the-grain type of take because we saw last year in this spot against a downtrodden USC team that BYU was taken to the horn, but I, I think USC was a lot more talented than this Stanford team. Stanford's still capable, but I think they Stanford would score a late touchdown, maybe make it a look, look a little more respectable. I think BYU gets it done. Cougars 30 Stanford 21. I think BYU caps off the regular season with a win on the farm and gets to 7-5 and five and earns their first victory all time against Stanford. What about you, Matt? Yeah, you know, I have BYU winning because Stanford's not very good, and I just I have a hard time picking Stanford. With that being said, Stanford has shown glimpses of life this year. They did beat Notre Dame on the road. That was very unexpected. They've played some close games. I think the thing that's really hard for me with this game is what BOU team are we going to get? Like, are we going to get a motivated team that, like, when BOU went up to Boise, that team was motivated and they cared and they wanted to win that game. And then last week, last week was weird. Like, the final score was great, but it was way too close. And, and they gave it the most points they've ever given up uh, to a Utah Tech team against an FCS team. So I just, I just don't know what to expect from this game. I from a BYU perspective, just is BYU going to come out guns blazing? They want to win on a high note, or do a lot of guys, you know, does the looming decision whether to stay, whether to go, whether that be to the NFL or to the transfer portal, does that have some kind of impact? And then also from the coaching perspective, too, what's going to happen there? Does that loom over this? I just, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I do feel like BYU is more talented, so I'm going to go BYU 24-21, but maybe a little closer than it should be. I, I think that's fair. I think it's it's possible. I mean, because we have seen BYU, they will play up to their competition. They will play down to their competition. And, you know, one thing about 
Aaron Roderick and BYU since A-Rod became the official OC in 2021. We know that you know he was heavily involved in the plays in 2019, but when he earned the title in 2021, they haven't blown out many teams. And I just get, I just get the vibe though from this this Stanford game where they they just feel like they're they're down and out. There's not much to play for on their end. And it's kind of looking around thinking what's what's next and just kind of getting a final opportunity to play play football might not be enough. Whereas I think BYU really, I get this sense that they're motivated. They had Fred Warner talk to him last night at the team hotel. Hopefully that works out a little bit better than what it did for basketball back in January when BYU lost to, to Santa Clara. Uh, not trying to bring bad vibes or anything, but... <laughs> Uh, I think that uh, I think BYU gets done, like like you said. Let's let's bring on our producer Nate Slack. Nate, it's your first chance to to give a score prediction here on Cougar Sports Saturday for our listeners out there that missed it. Nate Slack is our new producer of Cougar Sports Saturday. He will be uh, leading this ship going forward and producing the the show, replacing Dallin Graff, who's now with the KSL Sports Zone. Nate, who you got? Does BYU get it done today? Yeah, I think we're on the same page, Mitch. I've got BYU winning forty-five to twenty. I originally had it twenty-one Yo! points, but we got a couple. We got a good field goal kicker for Stanford, so we're going to get a couple kicks in. <laughs> um, no, I, I think Stanford's just struggling. I don't think they have anything to play for. I think their coach is going to be gone. What? Um, probably David Shaw's out. I think he's done. Yeah, you think he's yeah. done, I, I th- Mitch? I you think, think he's, he's out? Done. I don't. He what's, should be fired. Probably. Yeah, I don't know what his buyout is, but he makes an obscene amount of money. Yeah, he, he's making about eight point nine million or something per year. It's it's a high number, but uh, to go back to back potentially three nine seasons, it's hard to imagine with that type of salary. Yeah, uh, but I, I get the sense that he comes back one more year. That's just kind of my vibe. But hey, I, I I wouldn't be surprised. College football is just so competitive that maybe Stanford says, you know, we want to change the culture here and be more invested in football than ever before. All right, final thought, Nate. You got like ten seconds. Uh, no. Who's the player to watch for BYU? Who do you like? Player to, I want to watch Chris Brooks. I think he's getting more touches today. Mitch kind of touched on that. But I think the, the Cal-Stanford aspect kind of makes that interesting. Um, Chris Brooks. I like that. All right, Mitch. Enjoy the Bay Area. Enjoy Stanford's campus. And the game tonight we'll be following you on KSL Sports. So for our new producer, Dallin, uh, Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte, our board op, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Uh, signing off here, getting ready for the final game of BYU football later tonight. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.